of the Mr. Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton. A show where I interview people who interest and inspire me from the world of education. This time around, I spoke to Joe Morgan, and I promise you it is a good one. But before we dive into that, a quick word from our sponsors. Cue the fancy music. This episode of the Mr. Barton Maths Podcast is proudly sponsored by AQA. Now, in past episodes, we have heard about AQA's Maths is Beautiful campaign and their revamped wonderful Level 2 certificate in further mathematics. What have AQA got to tell us about this time, I hear you ask? Well, it's all about their new focus on collaboration. Now, as I well know from personal experience, teaching can be a very lonely job at times. Even if you're part of a large department, you can still feel isolated. You may go through days of not having any meaningful conversations with colleagues as you bounce from class to class. Or you may simply have a new idea that you want to try out, and you want to find a like-minded, enthusiastic teacher to run it by, bounce ideas off, and let them know how it went. So, How can AQA help with this? Well, an important part is their Maths Hub events that take place each term across the country. They're a superb opportunity for teachers to get support and inspiration from other teachers as well as from AQA themselves. Teachers can come along to discuss strategies, best practice, share resources, exchange experiences with their local AQA Maths teaching community. AQA think it's super important to have a space to talk about the incremental gains, what's working in their school and what they're doing about it, outside of big ideas and new things. That's the real value of a local network and a teacher community. And next term, these events will be focusing on revision. Flipping out, exams are coming up soon. And AQA are hoping loads of teachers will come along and share their favourite revision resources and strategies so we can all learn from each other. AQA's Spring Hub events are available to book in January from the AQA website, and there'll be a link to that in the show notes, and they'll also be sharing them on Twitter, so do follow at AQA Maths to find out when those dates are launched. AQA are once again sponsoring the MathsConf England events in 2019, as they believe they're an important way for teachers to connect and feel inspired. And I'll tell you what, I could not agree more. And just to go back to what I was saying before, if you do feel isolated, you think, does anybody think the same as me? Does anybody want to take these risks, try these ideas out? Come along to one of these MathsConfs that AQA sponsor. They're about 25 quid, 30 quid, they happen all around the country. They are some of the best CPD I've ever had in my life. So, if you have run out of ideas about where to find resources, or how to explain grey boundaries, or who to ask that killer question to about assessment, then why not lean on AQA? They can help you and connect you to more resources, support, and networks of teachers than you may (laughs) realise. And, if like 
AQA, you are interested in spreading the word about your product, service, or event to thousands of the very best listeners in the whole wide world, then drop me an email at mrbartonmaths at gmail.com to find out about the packages available. There are some flipping huge episodes coming up in 2019 that you can be a part of. But back to today's episode with Joe Morgan. Now, Joe is an absolute legend of the maths teaching community. Her website, resourceaholic.com, is the go-to site for many teachers to find hand-picked, curated, top-quality resources. Her Maths Gem series in particular have led me to discovering some of my all-time favourite maths website, activities, quirky ideas, and much more besides. But that's not all that's on Joe's blog. She also writes Topic In Depth series, which I'm a massive fan of, where she takes a topic such as indices and delves deep into the history, misconceptions, various representations, resources, and effective ways of teaching that concept to children. And of course, Joe is perhaps best known for her frequent appearances on this very podcast as my co-host for several conference takeaway episodes. Indeed, Although she hasn't actually said this, it is probably her life's proudest achievement. Anyway, I want to wanted to do this episode to celebrate the release of Joe's 100th Maths Gem. And I thought this would be a relatively quick chat about a few nice resources. How wrong I was. So in a wide ranging conversation, Joe and I discussed the following things and plenty more besides. What has Joe learned from her new job this year? What criteria does a resource need to fulfill to become a maths gem? How does Jo use the gems herself when planning a lesson? Jo then takes us through five hidden gems, brilliant resources and ideas that may not be familiar to listeners, and there's some absolute belters in there. And then, when discussing some of Twitter's favourite gems, I tell Joe about a new way that I've been using my very own SSDD problems, and if you've got year 11s, you might find that useful. I then spring a surprise quiz on Joe. you can hear how delighted she is, and you can play along at home too. And then it's the big one, Joe picks out her five favourite math gems of all time, who has made the list? Joe then offers up some really useful advice for budding resource writers before finally revealing a world exclusive on an exciting project that she's currently working on. Along the way, we fall out over our views on classroom displays <laughs> and dig into the role of happiness and fun in lessons and how that fits into what cognitive science tells us about how students learn. I loved talking about that bit in particular. Look, I just absolutely love talking to Joe all the time and I'm dead happy with how this conversation turned out. As I say, a chat about resources turned into one takeaway filled episode that covered so much interesting ground. It gave me tons to think about. Now, just before we get cracking, a few plugs. First off, if you enjoy these podcasts, then please consider giving them a review on whatever podcast platform you use to listen to them. And also, and this may be the the Christmas gift that you've been looking for, consider choosing an episode to recommend to a friend. Both those things really help more people discover the podcast. And secondly, and this is a new plug, related to what Joe and I talk about, um, I do a weekly feature for Tez that some of you may not be aware of. It's called Resource of the Week, 
and each week I choose a free resource that grabs my attention, write a short blog post about it, and also record a brief video of me talking about the resource and how I might use it in the classroom. You can find flipping years worth of these on the Tes Maths blog, and there'll be a link to them in the show notes. It's no maths gems, of course, but hopefully some people will find it useful. Now, there will be no takeaway at the end of today's show, and the reason for that is I'm actually off to an antenatal class to try in some way to appear prepared for the birth of my first child in January. I'll tell you what, if you thought I was out of depth talking to the Bjorks, Dylan William or Helen Williams, you should see me in that antenatal class. Anyway, I just wanted to take this opportunity to thank every one of my guests and my listeners. 2018 has been my favourite ever year of my life for many, many, many reasons, of which the podcast is certainly one. It is bigger than I could have ever imagined, and that's purely because amazing guests keep saying yes, and lovely people like you <coughs> keep tuning in. So thank you so much. It means the world to me, and I have some absolute cracking episodes lined up for next year. Anyway, without further ado, let me introduce Joe Morgan. Links to all the wonderful resources Joe discusses are in the show notes and can, of course, be found via Joe's website, resourceaholic.com. I really hope you enjoy this one. I know you will. And listen, you have yourself a wonderful, restful Christmas and a happy new year. Take care of yourselves and your loved ones, and I will see you in 2019. Okay, Joe. So, welcome back to the podcast. Have you any idea what number appearance this is for you now? Oh, good question. Um, right. So, I did my a couple of years ago. I was your first non-exam guest, wasn't I? Do you remember you exactly did a load right? Of, um, exactly right. Yeah. So that was um, you. That was exciting. That I was your first kind of maths teacher guest. And then we did. Well, we've done maybe six conference ones or something i'm not sure but yeah this is yeah. interesting because i am the most uh the most your most frequent podcast guest i think that's exactly right joe that and i can't see anybody taking that crown chris bolton's tried <laughs> he's, he's trying to worm his way back on but yeah you, you're winning at the moment um do you, just give us a bit of an update joe because it, it's been a while since we've spoke to you you've, you've changed job recently this academic year do you want to just tell us a little bit about that before we dive into the gems stuff yeah i have and, and i have a, a an unusual job now so I, I i um i was head of maths last year acting head of maths covering maternity uh cover and then i went um i went for a job at harris federation and for people people outside london might not be familiar with harris it's an absolutely huge mat um loads and loads of secondaries and primaries um and it's uh, it's one of the highest performing mats in the country in terms of um progress aid and stuff like that um very much uh, schools in deprived areas um and in my opinion doing lots of good things for kind of social mobility and kind of helping um, um, sort of the children in London who who really need good teaching. So I joined as a consultant, um, and I sort of worry worry about using that word. And I've already had people come up to me at the last conference saying, um, "Oh, I hear you're not teaching anymore." And I think you know I, I don't want uh, I don't want people to think I'm not teaching anymore because I am teaching, um, but I'm not teaching my own timetable classes. So it's a it's a slightly unusual role, and I I, I mainly spend my time in two schools. Um, they're both in the Croydon area. Um, they are very, very different settings to anywhere I've taught before. 
um, sort of much, much harder for me, um, much more challenging settings, let's say. And I um, and I go in and I um, do things like I uh, work with teachers. I support teachers. I advise them. I advise heads of maths. I provide resources, but I also run interventions. I sometimes cover year 11 lessons. Um, I take groups of year 11s out of their lessons and teach them separately. Um, so I mainly focus on year 11s and on trying to help them do well in their GCSE this year. But I'm also meant to be sort of building capacity across teams and helping to develop teachers. So and is it would you is it making you a better teacher, would you say? Have you, have you learned absolutely. Some, what, what, what are some of the kind of things you've learned? Well, it's really it's absolutely fascinating. For one thing, I'm learning how every school. So every Harris school is very, very different. And I've visited about 10 Harris schools in the last couple of months. And that is fascinating because as soon as you you can just spend one day in a math department and you can see the things it does really well and you can see the things the school does well. Um, you can you really get a sense of how how important some aspects of school leadership are and particularly behavior. I mean, that is I'm, no one ever talks about behavior. Like we're so careful not to talk about it on Twitter um, and we're, we're careful to talk about it because for a start, we don't want to kind of damage the reputation of our employer in any way. We don't want to make it look like we as teachers can't manage behavior. But when I go into schools, the overriding factor that affects how good a school is, is, is the attitudes and the behavior of the students. And that, that totally comes from how leadership deal with behavior. And it's so interesting. So basically, every school I go to, I get a real sense of the culture of the school and, and what things work well and what don't. Um, but in, and then I get to go into maths lessons and I see, oh, it's just fascinating. I see all these amazing approaches, things I've never thought of, things that work well, things that don't work at all. Um, and basically, it's the, the, the best learning experience for me because I'm, I'm just I'm, I and also I get to talk to students a lot more than a teacher normally would. So say I'm at the back of a lesson for an hour. Um, and I and and the, and the students get set some work and I go around and talk to them. Now, I'm not having to do the things a teacher's having to do and have like eyes in the back of my head and and, and get people on task and and, and help this, this student who's spilt something and all these things that go on that a teacher has to deal with. I don't have to deal with any of that because I'm not a teacher. I get to just kneel down next to a student and have a really good conversation with them about the maths. So I, I'm having all these amazing, rich conversations with students that teachers don't really get enough time to do. That's fascinating. And I'll tell you what, Joe, you, you've, given me an, you've given me an idea here. Now, obviously, today we're, we're, we're talking about the gems, but I'm going to book here for the end of the year for a bit of a, <laughs> a Joe Morgan reflection on the things that you've learned. Because I, I certainly found this whenever whenever I was AST, um, I used to get to go out um, one day a week and, and work with other teachers and visit other schools. Nothing improved my teaching more than that. It was because you're absolutely right. When you're in a school five days a week, you just you're just so focused on the classes in front of you you're going through the routines you can try different things of course you can but yeah. it's only when you get to be flung into all these different situations and scenarios yeah. that you really start to learn what works and what doesn't work and you Absolutely. start noticing things so are you up for that joe a bit of a reflection Absolutely. end of the year right let's do yeah. could be an eight could be an eight hour epic that one but <laughs> yeah i, I mean I, that's the thing is that i do have a million things to say about it because even that's funny because when i first started in these in these uh the schools i'm supporting i noticed that classes are kept together first of all they have um 50 minute lessons and they're all double so they have these hour 40 minute lessons now i find that tough because i have never taught hour and 40 minutes before i've only taught one hour lessons so they've got these hour and 40 minute lessons and the whole class stays with the teacher the whole time so in other words there's no independent 
work period of the lesson. And I'm seeing this in a lot of classrooms. Um, so this is really hard work for the teacher. An hour and 40 minutes of the teacher leading from the front. And there might be some mini whiteboards and there might be some bits where there's little short bursts of questions the students do. But there's no kind of independent work bit. So my originally I was feeling back to teachers saying, you know, you need to get them working on their own for a period of lesson. You know, that this is this is not something I've seen before. This kind of whole class stays together. Um, and then it's ridiculous because I had to cover a really tough year 11 class last week. And so I had my hour and 40 minute lesson planned and I got to the bit where I set them the independent practice and it all fell apart. And they all, <laughs> they, they all just they all just went off task and I had to go around hassling them and it got really loud. And it was fine when I was teaching at the front and they were all engaged. and They were all listening. And I thought, wow, I'm doing really well with this really tough class. And as soon as I set the independent work, I lost them. And it's funny because I've been giving all this advice saying that you can't keep them together the whole lesson. And then when I tried one lesson, where I where I gave an independent work, it all kind of went a bit wrong. So I think, you know, it's 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 I need to teach in these in these schools to be able to appreciate what the teachers are saying to me. Um, but it's it does go to show that you can't really advise teachers um, in context that you haven't worked in before. Absolutely. So, so, you know, I worked in a grammar school, then I worked in a comprehensive school in an affluent area. And now I'm at um, very, very different types of school. And for me to come in and say, oh, no, you have to teach like this because, you know, this is what good teaching looks like when I have never taught in that context. Um, that just seems now, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a fraud there. So so it's good that my job involves me teaching as well. And I'm learning a lot and I'm, and I'm, I'm learning a lot about teaching sort of, uh, you know, I can't, I'm not allowed to say low ability because we don't use the word low ability anymore, do we? But, you know, sort of um, students who are on, on sort of grade zero and grade one. I'm doing that kind of teaching now. And again, that's not something I'm very experienced with. But it's, it's all. Yeah, it's fascinating. I would love to do a whole podcast where I talk about this. Gosh, I saw a teacher the other day with a bell on the table. Have you ever seen that before? When they ring, <laughs> when they ring a bell, <laughs> you know, like a little hotel front desk yeah, bell. Like... Well, why are they ringing? Why are they ringing a bell? To get the class's attention in a really nice. So, say everyone's sort of chatting on a, you know, they're doing a task, and there's there's some sort of, you know, their students are talking to each other because they're doing a task, and the teacher wants their their attention. They want everyone back to together. And instead of doing, say, a countdown, or instead of, you know, teachers used to put their hand in the air, and all the kids would do that. And there's all these various ways. Some teachers clap. This teacher just went ding on their little hotel bell on the on the table. <laughs> And it was just such a lovely way, and everyone went silent as soon as they, as soon as the ding happened. And I see that, and I think, well, I've never thought of that. And you know, and that's just one example of the very many things I've seen in the last couple of months that I've never seen before. Flipping it. Well, I, I hope you're keeping note of these, Joe, because we're, we're, yes. we're on for this. We're on for this podcast. That's going to be a big end of season finale. That I'm looking for. I'm looking forward to it already. Right. Well, let's move on to the subject of today's interview, which is which is Maths Gems. Now, if anybody listening doesn't know about this series, I, I don't know what they've been doing for the last kind of three to four years. So um, give us a bit of background, Joe. First off, where did the idea for the Maths Gem series originally come from? Right. Well, I started so in April 2014. And um, this was when I worked at a grammar school at the time. That was my first sort of proper job in teaching. I um, I started writing my blog um, because I'd seen a couple of methods. So at school, um, a colleague had told me about a way of finding highest common factor. And it was a way that I didn't think anyone really knew about. So, it was, you know, most people do it using a Venn diagram or, the, or, or listing or various other ways. But someone showed me a method for finding highest common factor. And I thought, 
that's really interesting and, and no one else seems to know that and then at the, around the same time on the internet I found a way of doing matrix multiplication I was teaching fp1 at the time so I basically had these two methods and I thought no one really knows about those things so I'm going to start a blog to gather them together and it will be a place for me to remember these things that I find and maybe some other, someone else will benefit from it so I wasn't on Twitter at the time at all so that was just like my blog started as a place for me to put these interesting things then I joined Twitter because um, a couple of people said to me if you write a blog in education you really should be on Twitter um, and I was very reluctant and I thought that Twitter is just this crazy place where people tweet about what they had for breakfast and they do a commentary of their day. And then so I, but I joined it reluctantly and then loved it immediately. So I, I, I set up my Twitter account, MathGem, Gem being my initials, J-E-M, Joanne Elizabeth Morgan. That's where that came from. And I started tweeting on I started tweeting and interacting with all these math teachers. And then about and then I went on maternity leave. So I had loads of time for blogging. <laughs> I had a little tiny baby, <laughs> apart from the baby thing. But yeah, I had little babies to look after, but I had loads of time for blogging. I wasn't at school. I was basically um, just suddenly became immersed in this world of let's talk about maths teaching. And then, and this, this was a sort of pivotal moment. So that, that was April that I started the blog and it was May that I joined Twitter. And then in August, I was basically doing about three blog posts a week with all these ideas and things I'd researched. So I did one on uh, box plots with loads of ideas. I did one on um, scatter graphs. I did one on ideas for what you could do at the beginning of year 12. And I did so I did sort of all these all these blog posts were coming at once sort of every couple of days. And Bruno Reddy tweeted um, and he said and this was quite a big deal to me at the time because Bruno had like thousands of followers and I was very new to Twitter. So this to me was like, oh, my God, Bruno Reddy is tweeting about me. He said um, newbie blogger Mastgem is rapidly churning out readable, nabbable maths gems, all with two young kids. And then he put a link to my blog, and I was all excited about them. <laughs> and that was the 7th of August, 2014, so that was in the summer holidays. So he's, he's referred to me as a newbie blogger because I'd had like I'd been blogging for a couple of months. Um, like I say, he, he to me was like a maths celebrity, and I was really excited that he'd, he'd said this, he'd shared my blog to his thousands of followers. But he said is rapidly turning out readable, navigable maths gems. And I think he was making a play on the fact that I was maths gem. Mm. He was, and he was saying that they were maths gems, obviously spelt differently because my, my, my Twitter handle is J-E-M. But um, so that, and then two days later, I wrote my first gems post. So I guess what happened was I, I was kind of inspired by his tweet. And, and what I thought at the time was, this is actually a really good idea because I've got all these little random ideas that don't warrant their own blog posts and I could just shove them all together in a collection because then I kept seeing these little ideas and I thought, well, that's nice, but you know, I can retweet it, but I've only got a few hundred followers and I can, um, and I could do a whole post about it, but it's only a little idea. And then I thought, well, I could take all these little ideas and I could put them together. And so I started writing my gems and I wrote one a week for ages. Um, and then I went back to work and I couldn't keep doing the one a week. So I do about one a month now. Um, but but the the thing is that Twitter and I'm obsessed with it. I'm on it all the time. It it never lets me down in terms of ideas and resources. Like there's never a time where it goes a couple of months and I think, well, I haven't I haven't seen five great things on Twitter that I can blog about because you know I'm I'm on it all the time and I'm constantly seeing stuff that that people um, who aren't on Twitter might want to know about. So is is that the main source? Would it be Twitter? Is that where you're getting the the bulk of the ideas from? 
Um, yes, mainly Twitter. So basically, I mean, I'm on it on my phone all the time. Like every opportunity, it's ridiculous. You should see me marking a set of mocks. I will mark <laughs> one question, then I will throw through Twitter. Like it's like everything in my life down. I'm, I'm never, I'm never like, you know, I, I'm, I'm ridiculous. I walk along the street looking at my Twitter. Like I'm just on it all the time. And so I'm, I'm just scrolling through it. And then what happens is if I see a tweet that I think is a resource or an idea or something that other math teachers might want to know about, um, I'll for start I'll retweet it there and then. But also on Twitter you can just do share. You can click the button share, and I send it to my email. Um, and then when I'm at home, I, I I then take those emails and I I put them into a draft post. So I've got this constant flow from Twitter onto my blog where I'm sort of sharing those things. But it's not just Twitter. I mean, one of one thing that really excited me actually was when um um I got an email about so i get people email me things oh i get like a million emails a day but i get um people email me things that they think might might be something i want to share with my readers and most of it i don't but like for example one day i got an email from the guy who writes boss maths um and no one knew about that website and he said this is a this is a website that i've spent all this time on and it's it's got all these lessons for every single gcse topic all pre-written really easy to use and and I put and I put that in a gems post, and and people are using that now. And people and and that came that didn't come through Twitter. That came from an email through me. And I saw someone tweet the other day about how much they love boss maths, and it's just a really nice thing for me because I think they wouldn't know about boss maths if I hadn't put it in my gems post. And the thing about Boss Maths, as regular podcast listeners will know, they're now actually a sponsor of the Mr. Barton Maths podcast. So oh, they, really? they've come from nothing to that, Joe. So it's, they've reached the pinnacle there. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, what I really like is I had an event recently. So I, I hold this sort of one event a year because I just like just like holding parties, really. So I had this, um, I, ha- I held a, a book launch event and it was just a big party in London. It was really fun. And I had, and at that event, the two guys that write Boss Maths came up to me and I didn't know they were coming. And it was really nice because they said, oh, we've come we've come along to sort of say thank you for for sharing our blog and uh, sorry, our website. And it was just really nice because, you know, I, it's nice when I meet people in person, when I have shared their stuff before and I've kind of popularized their their resource or their website. And it's really nice when I meet them in person. Oh, that, lovely that, Joe. That's super. Well, I, I'll tell you what, what I'm interested in here is is because you, you've seen a lot of these resources. I'm, I'm fascinated there about the way you've got of kind of storing them, the, the sharing and emailing them to yourself. But what, what's your kind of filter system? Do you, do you have a kind of set of criteria that a resource needs to fulfill or a tip list or something like that in order for it to qualify to be included in one of your Maths Gems posts? Um. Well... That's a good question because no, I don't, I don't really. And I, and I was thinking about this. I don't think I'm. It's it's all a bit random. Um, because what the main thing is, I want, I want them to be things that teachers might not know about already. So, for example, I would never say, oh, the standards unit, that's a math gem, because everyone knows about the standards unit and and like things like enrich. I mean, when I did my PGCE, that was all I was told about in terms of resources was standards unit and enrich. So no in me putting things in my gems if I think this is already widely known by math teachers. So sort of, I guess one criteria is it's something that I think most teachers don't know about. Um, so that would be my number one. And then the other thing is either it's something that I just like and I think, oh, that's that's cool or that's fun or that's um, that's a nice thing to try. Or it's something that I think other people will like, even if I don't like it myself. So I do that sometimes. I sometimes put stuff in my gems posts where it's like, well, I wouldn't use this, um, but I know that some people are going to really like this. 
Um, so I think I think wide appeal is my kind of main criteria. Wide appeal and not widely known already, I guess. And I do try to have, you know, a bit of I put a bit of A level in there sometimes. I make sure that I kind of um, cover key stage three up to key stage five. I like to in each post have a resource. I like to have an idea that's not a resource, so just something that's something people can try in the classroom. I like to have a puzzle in there. I like to have a display, although I can't call them classroom displays anymore because people like you don't like that. So I call them puzzle <laughs> we'll, displays now. We'll cut that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I say, so yeah, so I have. Um, I have, um, I have, I like to put a range of stuff in there. But in terms of criteria, no, I think I'd say I just, it's just sort of a random mix. And I know that most people who read a Gems post will not like all five of them. And there's no, and there's no point in me trying to please everyone because I would never put anything in there. So, you know, there are some things like maths pad and maths bot and stuff like that that come up all the time because they're constantly producing new stuff that, that, um, that I want to share. But, you know, I, I just know that it's going to be, there's, it's impossible for me to please everyone. So I, I sort of gave up on trying. It, it sounds to me it's quite similar to kind of rating resources on TES. Now, I'm TES Maths Advisor and you're a, you're a member, a hardworking member of, of my TES Maths panel. Yeah. And for many years, people have said, can you write a kind of criteria list for what makes a five star resource? But it's <laughs> impossible. It's impossible, isn't it? Because yeah. how do you compare like a... Uh, a complete lesson PowerPoint that's got starter, main plenary to a kind of one-off problem or a one-off Excel spreadsheet that, that's just a bit quirky, but does something very, very special. So I'd imagine it's a similar thing in terms of the gems that it would be impossible to have a criteria list. Sometimes you just look at a resource and think that's just got something a bit different, something a bit special. I'm going to chuck that into the mix. Yeah. Whereas, and, and, and there may be only a small group of people who like it, but they're going to absolutely flipping love it whereas another resource is going to have wide appeal and um, to, to a great number of people so yeah it's interesting you say that joe because when i was thinking through preparing for this interview i thought i wonder if she approaches it the same way i kind of approach resource rating selection on tes if, if that makes sense yeah i think if, if if it's if i can get an idea out to people that they haven't seen before that some people will love and the thing is i was once criticized so actually a friend of mine said oh, it's just a load of gimmicks. And I was very defensive about that at the time. And I think I think the thing with gimmicks, there's, there's a big discussion to be had about, about gimmicks in the classroom and, and things that don't necessarily add to, that's things that don't necessarily make students learn better, but we like to have in our classroom anyway. And I think a good example is these things called constant characters. Now, um, I don't know if you, this was a, a Gems post from a while ago, where um, uh, you know at A-level when you're teaching indefinite integration and people mm. often forget the plus C so you know you have yes. to add a constant and, 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 and it becomes if you're an A-level teacher you'll be really familiar with the fact that you know anytime anyone misses the plus C and they're going to lose a mark everyone's like oh I forgot the plus C and how annoying and it becomes like this ongoing almost sort of funny thing in, in, in year 12 and 13 lessons about don't forget the plus C and sometimes I'll write, I'll, I'll do an example on the board and I'll forget to put the plus C at the end. And then I would hope that my students would all say, Miss, you forgot the plus C. Um, anyway, someone shared this, this uh, really quirky idea and it was called constant characters. And it's basically a plus and a C kind of stuck together um, on, on, a, on a little bit of paper. And the idea is that if you're marking students work and they forgot to put the plus C on, then when you return their work, you give them this bit of paper and, it's, and they, they have to turn it into a picture. 
and it's it's kind of it's hard to explain you have to have a look at some examples but basically they can make it look like a person or, or there's all these like they do all these really imaginative things with it and the idea is that because they felt sort of had to go home and do this kind of punishment this kind of funny punishment of having to sort of decorate this what we call constant character that they won't forget the plus c again mm. but it probably makes no it probably has no impact on whether they remember the plus c i mean i'm not sure if it would maybe maybe they'll always remember drawing that little picture but the fact is it's, it's just a bit of fun and it's just a bit it's a funny thing to do in an a-level maths lesson you can put them all over the wall and you can say look these are all my students in the past who forgot the plus c and these are their characters they've decorated um and it's and it doesn't add anything to the maths teaching it's just a bit of fun and light relief and something that students will go off and laugh about and talk about um, and I did them in my lesson with a really good year 13 class. And any time they forgot the plus C, I gave them this little picture and they decorated it. Um, and it was just nice. And I think some things are just nice to do. And it doesn't oh, really no, matter. I like that, Joe. And I, th- I, think, I think that will have an impact because, I mean, we both know, and I'm, I think most teachers listen to this will will um, will, will um, relate to this, that there are like if you say to kids check your work i don't think there are three words that have less of an impact on a child um, and in, in, <laughs> in the whole in the whole history of language yeah whereas and it's the same thing like I, I the amount of times i've said to kids remember the constant or remember to write your units or remember to yeah. round and kids are like yeah 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 whatever so and then they, they forget it but that little idea there is creating a memorable experience outside of the norm that may just have an impact on some of those kids and we shouldn't we, we shouldn't kind of undervalue the role that kind of fun experiences have you know it's it's we want kids to be thinking hard and working hard about the math, mathematics all the time but at the same time we want them to enjoy what they're doing and enjoy being there and so on and Absolutely. so forth so yeah. I like that I like that and I like the fact that that idea will fit alongside in a gems post alongside Jonathan Hall has released some massive update to maths yeah. bot that's absolutely amazing and it, that that's what I like about the gems and we'll dig more into this throughout the conversation but it's it's the variety you're not you're not tied to certain types of resources like it's always a surprise to me anything could be in there if that makes sense yeah i mean i think and i do try hard to have something that's that's a little i don't want to i don't want to take life too seriously i mean math teaching is very serious and it's very important that these these children learn mathematics and you know i i do i i have increased i increasingly um and take things seriously in terms of you know the whole cognitive load and I, i i think about these things a lot but I think that a teacher that takes things too seriously to the to the extent where their lessons have have no little bit of joy in them. <laughs> I think that's really sad because what's lovely is when a student goes home and first of all, they will want them to say, I learned something new in maths today. But also, isn't it great if they go home with this real kind of enthusiasm of and we did this really cool thing like mm. like, oh, Miss showed us this funny gif on bid maths. Like I've got I, I, I like to show like these little gifts. It takes one second of the lesson and it really it's really makes students like go away with a smile on their face and it, it, it doesn't have a huge impact on teaching time it's just these little cute things I did a lesson I taught year seven um, a couple of weeks ago which again is a weird thing for me to do in my new job because I'm really year 11 focused but I taught a lesson on divisibility laws and um, I started at the beginning by showing my students a a problem and telling them a story about it because I'm all about the narrative these days like my lessons um uh, have become better over the years because I put narrative into them. So I started by telling them a story about how I once had a class of students and we were playing this kind of countdown game. It was like, I think it was at Christmas or something. And we were doing, we were doing, here's a load of countdown questions. And there was one 
that no student in the class could solve. They just they couldn't they couldn't crack this countdown thing. So um, and then and then I, I hadn't tried. And then they said, oh, miss, can you do this one? And I did it in like seconds. And the thing is, I'm not I'm not great with quick mental arithmetic and stuff like that. But they were like, oh, miss, how did you do that? And I said, well, I did it because I know my divisibility laws. Um, I know I know the test for divisibility by three and nine and that sort of thing. And because I knew that it meant I could do this question really quickly. So I, this is how I opened my lesson. And then I taught them divisibility tests. And at the end of the lesson, I gave them that same question again. And I said, right, last thing I want you to do this lesson. You remember that question I talked about at the start? Now I want you guys to do it. And they were like they were all over it. Like it was the most exciting thing they'd ever done. And they were all like really, really into doing this countdown question. Um, and they and all they had to, you know, they had sort of six numbers and they had to combine them to make a number. And it was just so lovely because they ran out the class with um, with such sort of joy. And they were obviously going to go home. And if they're going to talk about what they did at school that day, they're going to say, well, in maths, we did this really fun thing. Um, and I love that. I love the idea of a student going home and saying um, to their parents, I love my maths lesson today. And, and I think that that sort of thing that I some of the things I put in my gems posts are the things that that, that children will go home and talk about. I, th- I think you're right. And again, we, we don't I could talk about this all day, but just just a kind of final point on this one that particularly like when I put my book out at um, the, the start of start of 2018 and I was obsessed with cognitive load theory, as I, as I still am. There's a danger you can go too far that if you strip yeah. out everything else from the lesson yeah. and it's just purely focused on the learning, we, we, we can't ignore the fact. I mean. I think it's true that it's going to lead to kids feeling more successful and being more successful and that success itself is going to be motivating. But but kids need that bit of colour. They need that bit of fun. And the way I'm kind of reconciling it with myself these days is that by teaching using the principles of cognitive load theory and all I talk about with silent teacher and all this, it actually buys me more time in lessons where I can use these kind of things. So if, yeah. if I if I a little fun activity or a fun GIF or a video or something like that, that yeah. takes perhaps two minutes, two or three minutes. But I've saved those two or three minutes by stripping out all the other redundancy that used to fill up my lessons. So I think you're right. I think there's a danger we can go too far with the cognitive science and we've got to. But we can utilize the power of the cognitive science to free up time to have these kind of fun, engaging experiences, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, it's interesting because you talk about time in lessons. And one thing I'm seeing a lot in the lessons I observe at the moment, I see amazing lessons at the moment in some schools and particularly good. Um, lots of mini whiteboard lessons like teachers using them really really effectively but the le- lessons that I see where I think that, that really made me realize that there's something that a lot of math teachers in this country do and, it, and it's a problem is, question, is, is uh, lessons where when a teacher is going through an example instead of just modeling it and just the teacher doing it they stop every other word and ask the children what shall I do next and 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 so you know there instead of the sort of instead of the sort of I do we do you do kind of approach or 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 an example pair problem where the teacher does it example problem pair where the teacher does it and then the the children do it what I see is the teacher goes to explain the problem um but doesn't actually go through it and just keeps saying any ideas what shall I do next and then they get all these ideas that are totally wrong and then um, it takes forever and it takes sort of 10 minutes to go for a simple problem that the teacher could have just modelled themselves in seconds. And I think Danny Quinn has done a really good post on that about how teachers go too far with questioning all the time. And so I see these lessons where that sort of thing happens and it's just lots and lots of slow progress and lots of wasted time. 
um, when actually if you if the teacher just models and then and then the students just have a go at the thing that the teacher just modeled, then that's a really efficient use of time. And then you can sort of, yeah, like you say, put your put your bit of enrichment in the lesson as well. Could not could not agree more, Joe. Could not agree more. Right. Well, let's let's steer it seamlessly back now to, to the gems. Before we dive into you picking out some of your favorites, just a final question for you is um, how do you use the gems yourself, Joe? I'm, I'm interested in how you kind of organize them. Do you do you literally have your gems just stored on your blog post or do you have some of the resources downloaded in folders? And how would you perhaps use a gem to help plan a lesson, if that makes sense? Well, I, I my blog is my blog is where I, you know, it is my folder of resources, I guess, in a way. And I don't you know, if I'm planning, if I'm planning any lesson and I need to find a activity for students to do, I go to my own resource libraries. And actually what happens is when I write a gems post, if there's a resource in there, like say there's a maths for everyone sheet or something like that, I will then go and add that to my resource libraries. So when I'm planning a lesson I'm all over my resource libraries. Like that is the first place I go. And I love it when I see my last school. I loved it because everyone on my team did that as well. So if I went in the maths office and and I looked over the shoulders of people on my team, the resourceaholic resource libraries were always open where they were using that to to pull off resources. So I love that. (laughs) Um, But the the gems. um, So say it's not a resource, but say it's like one of these quirky little ideas like the you can that the constant character or a GIF or something. Then, no, I don't have them saved anywhere. And I think it's, it's kind of I just I just know when I'm planning a lesson on something, I, I remember, oh, I remember putting something funny in or something interesting or something engaging once in a gems post. Um, and I have my big gems index so I can kind of find things that I've done before. Um, but there's been lots of things that I, I mean, it's funny over the years, there's things I've tried for my gems post that haven't gone well. Um, and there's and there's things that I now use all the time and they're absolutely like routine in my teaching so for example um there's a parallel lines angles and parallel lines maze which i absolutely love it's um the the, the twitter handle of the person that makes this is at mathy mcmatheser and it's a really, <laughs> it's a really lovely activity where um it's like it, it, it it's angles and parallel lines but it's kind of got some algebra in it as well and I used I've used this every time I've taught angles and parallel lines since I wrote that gems post. So that was gems 26. So this was years ago. And I've, I've used it every time. And, and it doesn't matter who I'm teaching it to. I've used it with top sets before. And last week I used it in a challenging school with a challenging class, a foundation class. I taught them angles and parallel lines. And then at the end, I gave them this this this. This, this task which I got from a gems post and I knew it was going to be really challenging but they got really really into it because it's like it's like a, it works with everyone so that's one of my favorites but I because I've used it so many times I know just I can search through my gems post on the index and I'll find it um, but there's other things like uh, in gems 35 I wrote about famous five um, famous five was an idea from Emma McRae and it was this um, this idea of when your students arrive at the start of the lesson, the first five students to settle and get on with the work that's ready for them, the do now or the starter. Mark McCourt hates starters, so I shouldn't say starter. But, you know, whatever, whatever it is you've got ready for them when they arrive, if they get on with that and, and, they, and they're the first five students, you write their names on the board under the title Famous Five. And then they um, and they those five people get to leave the lesson first at the end. And it doesn't mean they leave early, because I remember some people said, oh, no, you can't let them leave early. So I'm not saying they leave early. I'm saying that at the end of the lesson, if there's a bell or, or whatever, when the time comes in the lesson, right, you five, off you go. 
and then they get first in the lunch queue or you know whatever it is they want to go off and do they absolutely love that um and then and then it becomes this little incentive and people want to be on the famous five list now that was something i wrote about in the gems post and immediately started using and, I, and then i don't use it anymore because it, it worked well with the particular class i had at the time um but it's it's one of those things where I write about things in gems and then and then I just use them straight away. Um, and sometimes they work well and sometimes I carry on doing them and sometimes I don't. And that was one that did work well at that particular time. I mean, f feel free to, to tell me to mind my own business with this question, Joe. But I, I don't suppose you can give an example of a gem that you thought was going to work well and, and didn't. And this obviously isn't to say that the resource itself was bad. It was just things work in different contexts and so on. Does anything spring yeah. to mind there? Well, I mean, and this one, yeah, this is this is um, this is something where it's not a resource, so there's no, no one's going to get upset by this. But um, Hannah, and I don't know her surname, but Hannah from um, from Twitter, and um, her, her Twitter handle is L, I think it's L O L H R or something. She um, she said that in her A level lessons, she plays music to break the silence because sometimes you have an A-level class who are very, very quiet and it's hard to get them contributing and it's hard to get them asking for help. So they'll all sit and work because they don't know each other um, and, and, and they all sit and work on, on their problems in the A-level lesson and they don't say, oh, miss, I'm stuck on this one because everyone else is working quietly. So she suggested playing some music in the lesson. So while they're doing their independent study, you could have some classical music on, for example, and that's just sort of means that they might more readily ask for help. Now, I tried that um, because I had a particularly quiet A-level class at the time. And I said to them, I hope no one minds. I'm going to put a little bit of classical music on in the background while we're working. Um, and, you know, if, if that bothers you, let me know. And about three lessons later, <laughs> they all said it bothered them. <laughs> so they all said, they all said, Miss, we appreciate what you're doing there, but can you stop playing music? <laughs> So I like it. And the thing is, like, I tried it. I tried it, and I liked the idea. And then they didn't like it, so I stopped. But actually, you know what's really nice? Um, I went. I've, I've been going to. Uh, um, so like I said, I go to lots of different Harris schools, and there's a couple of Harris schools where they have classical music playing in the corridors all the time. Oh. And it's lovely because it because classical music kind of just has this lovely calmness about it. And this is the school I went to was a boys school in um, in Dulwich, but it's kind of on borders with Peckham. Again, it could be kind of a really challenging area, challenging school. And when you're in there, it's just delightful because there's this like classical music playing all the time in the corridors. Um, oh. and it's interesting because, yeah, you sort of you go to these schools and you're like, well, that's funny. I didn't know any school did that. Um, but certainly my experience of trying to play classical music in lessons didn't really work out. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Superb. Right, Joe. Well, I want to turn to kind of the first big uh, big section of this. We, we've had the background now. now. Now I'm interested in what I'm calling hidden gems. So we all know about the math spots. We all know about the, the kind of big ones that, that, that you featured. We now know about boss maths. But are there, is there an example of perhaps five of the lesser known gems that, that you've uncovered throughout your blog posts that you think teachers should be aware of? And all the things we talked today, obviously, we, we, you can find them on your post, but we'll try and put specific links to, to these as well. Um, yeah, it's funny because... I always think, oh, whatever I, whatever, when anyone asks me for something that I think people won't know, I, I think, oh no, everyone's going to know these. But you know what? Last week at um, a school, one of the schools I'm based in, uh, a teacher sent an email to the whole department and they said, I've just discovered this website, MathSpot. And, 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 you know, and I was like, what? How has someone just discovered MathSpot? So it's funny, isn't it? Like we think that 
everyone knows all these big sites that we've known for years and we use all the time. But it's actually surprising how many teachers don't know what we consider yes. to be kind of the basics. Um, and, and, you know, there are things I've had in my GEMS posts over the years that have sort of then taken on a life of their own. So, for example, in the second GEMS post I ever wrote, I had these prep homeworks, which was a, a homework format by a teacher called Catherine Foster. And then that's taken on a life of its own. Like the websites, so I went and set up a separate website for those in the end because I had so many of them. And it still gets thousands of visitors. Like people, people still use those. And it's funny that, you know, sort of some things just get really big and, and, and then some things that I think everyone knows about no one knows so i'm gonna i'm gonna give you five that i think people are that i think are not widely known okay so first of all um now there's a website um and it's an american website and it's um, math.serpmedia.org and this is a website where they have a couple of some various different maths resources they have poster problems now poster problems aren't really my thing but teachers that kind of like doing kind of investigations and students creating posters of the things they found, there's some really nice things there. But the other thing on this website that I really like is called Algebra by Example. Now, do you know this? I only know about this because I, I wrote about it in my book. So, yeah, I, oh. I discovered this fa I discovered this fairly late on. This is where I got the idea for the supercharged worked examples. From. Right. OK. So this was back in GEMS 54, I blogged about this. And, and again, the reason this one ended up being in my GEMS was because there was a big fuss on Twitter um, about posters and the idea being that posters, students making posters is a terrible use of their time. And then I wrote a blog post saying, well, hold on, there's posters and then there's posters because there's posters where you just make some ridiculous, silly poster that's, that's a waste of time. But in maths, you could do a really good sort of standard unit activity or math assessment project activity, and then you could stick it all down on A3 and, and say that's a poster, when actually yes. it's, it's the maths about it that made it a good activity. Who cares if we call it a poster or not? So I wrote a blog post about that saying that, um, yeah, making sort of pointless posters is, is a waste of time, but but if we're going to, if, if you do this sort of lovely big activity and then stick it onto A3, no one's saying stop doing that. And then someone then um, tweeted me and said, here's some great poster problems. And it was when I was on that site looking at that, that's when I found the Algebra by Example um, resources. And they're really nice because there's 42 of them. And they, they're basically, it's lots of different topics. And they say, here's a misconception. What has this student done? So you have to look at a piece of work by a student and you say, oh, I can I can see what's wrong here. This is what they've done wrong. And then it's a your turn where they then give you a similar problem to try. Um, and they're just really, really nicely made resources. And I can imagine using them starters or exit tickets or even a, a homework or an assessment. You can use them in so many different ways. But the idea is that, first of all, you comment on another student's work and then the student does a very similar question themselves. And I think they're okay. really nice. I agree. They're, they're, they're quality, Joe. And just give us, obviously, we'll put a link to this, but just give us that website just one more time, Joe. Okay, so it's um, math.serpmedia.org. Math.serpmedia.org. Superb. Yeah. Right, great start to Hidden Gems. What about Hidden Gems number two? Okay, so I'm going to talk about some stuff that Colin Foster has made. We all love Colin Foster. He does fantastic stuff. And he's been on he's been on the podcast before, hasn't he? He is one of my favourite former guests. And do you know what? If I was to do a series of hidden podcast guests, Colin Foster would be on there because it's criminal how um, how under listened to that lesson that that episode is. So yeah, I'm a huge he's, fan of Colin. He's brilliant, yeah. And actually, um, he's 
because he is on Twitter, and so sometimes I'll tweet something, and and he'll everything. If he ever replies to my tweet, I know he's going to give me a link that I love. Like he'll always say, <laughs> "Have you?" Like I wrote, he'll always reply saying, "Oh, I wrote about that once ten years ago." So I'll say something. Uh, uh, well, I've had some deep insight, and then he'll reply saying, "Yeah, I've already, I've already done that." And it, it's always great the stuff he shares. So I, I need to kind of, um, you know, I, I, I need to make sure I've looked at everything he's ever done because it's always great. He's got a website, um, Instant Maths Ideas. Um, I might not be called that. I should check. Um, and it's, um, it's, it's, it's got all these. Basically, for every single topic, he created a pack of examples of activities that relate to that topic or questions you could ask students they're basically you know like my topics in depth um things that i yes. do where i take a topic and i have do a ton of research on how to teach it and um good ways of, of, of explaining the, the concepts and then good activities you can do he's it's something similar it comes from a sort of slightly different angle but it's it's the same idea he's he's looked at each topic individually and if you look through those packs there's so many great activities so there's one that I featured a couple of them in my gems before, but one of them was called um, Impossible or Impossible. And it's an activity for teaching mean, median, mode and range. And it's basically a table and there's a load of statements. So, for example, it says the first statement is there isn't one. And you have to say, is it possible that you could say that about a mean, that there isn't one? And is it possible that you could say there isn't a mode? And, and like, so we know, yeah, if you had a set of numerical data, we know that there will always be a mean and there will always be a median, but there won't necessarily be a mode, mm. but there will always be a range. So we, we know if it's numerical data, then then we can answer that. Or it's equal to zero. So we know that, yes, you can have a mean equal to zero um, and you could have a median equal to zero and you can have a mode equal to zero, but you can't have a range equal to zero because then. Oh, no, you can. No, can you? Yes, well, this is this is the thing. Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah, but it's, Sorry, it gets you thinking. I guess you thinking. Your, yes, if your numbers are all the same, the range will be zero. Yes. So anyway, I think that's so you even look. It's making me think. So this <laughs> this activity is basically a load of statements, and you have to say whether it's possible or impossible for mean, median, mode, or range. And it's such a lovely activity. And again, just totally. Like, no, does anyone use this? Probably not, because it's a hidden gem. You know, it's totally. People don't. People who are teaching mean, median, and mode. Aren't, aren't using this brilliant activity that's hidden on Colin Foster's site. Um, there's another one on rounding that I like, and it's basically how do you, if you have to calculate 17 divided by 5, there's lots of different contexts. So it could be, um, uh, uh, <laughs> it's funny because I'm just looking at it and it's got, it's got a floppy disk as an example. These are pretty old resources. <laughs> um, but it's saying floppy disks are stored in boxes that hold five disks. I have 17 disks to store. How many boxes will I need? Um, and the whole act, there's loads of examples like that of different contexts. And you have to think about whether the answer should be rounded or not. And if so, how it should be rounded. So, for example, in that one, you would do 17 divided by five and then you would need to round up because you need to have enough boxes. Yes. To hold the disc. And there's all the, and it's such a lovely activity because there's all these little things to think about where some of them you would you wouldn't round your answer. But some of them you'd have to round, but you have to think about how to round. And it, it, they're such good tasks. So, I mean, I would like to just spend days reading through everything on Colin Foster's Instant Math site because it really is just full of amazing stuff. I love that. So that's Colin Foster Instant Maths. I'm going to put a link to that yep. in the in the show notes as well. Super. What, what about number three of the hidden gems, Joe? OK, so this is again, this is something I've not used. And this is something some people might think is gimmicky. I'm not sure it is. I, I've been thinking about this one. This was um, in Gems 9. So this is like 2014. I wrote this and it was um 
tweeted by someone called at Miss Ren Maths. And the idea is called stuck post-its. Now, the idea is that say you've given the class um, a sheet to do with, say, nine questions on. Um, then say and say you've had those nine questions up on, on the in the board as well being projected onto the board. And then the idea was that when the student gets stuck, um, they write their name on a poster and they go and stick it on the board on the question they're stuck on. And now there's a couple of reasons for this. One, the teacher who's busy circulating, helping students and doing their teacher thing can glance up at the board and see, well, look, loads and loads of students have stuck their poster on that particular question. I think I should go through that one with the whole. Yes. Or they go up to the board and they say, oh, look, um, uh, this particular student has stuck a poster on this question. I'm going to go and help them on that question because it's only them that's stuck on it and they need help. Because what I think is really interesting, I saw this in a school the other day. I went to a school with amazing behaviour, like absolutely brilliant silence in lessons. And the problem was the silence in lessons was almost, in this one example, almost too much silence in lessons. Because, you know, I think every teacher makes a decision between, uh, about whether they, they are going to allow their students to talk during an independent task. And I always let my students uh, speak during an independent task because I want them to talk to each other and help each other. However, then you get the problem of the, the non-mass talk and they all get a bit loud and that sort of thing. So I think if a teacher decides to get their students to work silently on independent tasks, I think that's great. Apart from... What I do see is students then getting stuck and not being able to get unstuck by asking the person next to them and thinking this room's really quiet. I'm not going to put my hand up and then just mm. sitting there pretending to work. And I, I watched this from the back of a classroom the other day and I watched this girl for ages and to see what she would do. And I knew she didn't know how to do it. And then she just sat there and she was basically rewriting like she was tracing over the word she'd already written in the question she just kept it was you know she just kept writing the question out and she was just pretending she was writing because she didn't want the teacher to think she wasn't working but she couldn't ask the person next to her and for some reason she didn't want to put her hand up and ask for help um whereas in if they if she could have just written her name on a post-it and gone and stuck it on the board and said i can't do that question she had gone and sat back down and she could have carried on with the rest of the exercise um, that's lovely i love this joe i absolutely love this and it's making me think and this is an obvious point but it's the culture's got to be right in the class hasn't it and this is what yeah. doug lemoff calls the culture of error kids have not got to be afraid to kind of almost put themselves on show in a sense in terms of go to the front and, and stick the post-it note on but if you create that culture this this sounds absolutely brilliant yeah and it's and again i don't know why i never actually tried this and that's, i think i don't like students out of their seats from a behavior management perspective because you know i see students kind of wandering you know they get out of their seat and on the way back they hit someone on the head and they go and talk to their bag <laughs> and sort of thing. so i think you know again it depends on on what kind of context you're in whether whether you would want them out of their seats but i do think um you know i've seen maths uh, I, I used to know a maths teacher who her beha- she would she she would say she was good at behavior management because they were all quiet during her lessons but actually what was happening was they were all terrified of her and <laughs> to the point where where I once had a student crying at the end of the lesson and a, a boy, a, a teenage boy in tears because he said, I can't do the question, but I can't ask her for help. Um, and, and that's we don't want that. Right? That's a terrible situation to be in. So, you know, there's a there's a real fine line, isn't there? The, the behavior management thing is all a, a balance. You want the relationship and you want them to trust you and you want them to feel they can ask for help. Um, but you also um, want them to to sort of get on with their work 
independently and not just keep asking the person next to them to tell them the right answer. And it's such a fine line. And you know, these things, I, you know, I, I struggle with lots of things as a teacher. And, you know, there's, you know, there's a lot I need to get better at. And getting the right balance there is something that I haven't achieved yet. That's yeah, absolutely spot on, John. I think I think you've hit the nail on the head there. That some of these gems, just like some most ideas and most resources, aren't going to be suitable for every class, every yeah. context, every school, every teacher. But you may just be listening to this, thinking, "Well, I've got a class there that uh, that work well, that aren't afraid to kind of let us know that they've made if they've made mistakes that I'm on top of in terms of behavior. Maybe this is something I'll, I'm going to give a go to. So I love that. That's a, an excellent, uh, excellent choice. <laughs> what about number four, Joe? So for number four, I decided something again, I'm, I kind of um, maybe people think this is gimmicky. I don't know. But this is um, number experts. And I wrote about this in Gems 13. And I said, when you get a new year seven class at the beginning of the year, doesn't have to be year seven. You assign a number to each student and tell them that they will be the expert on that number. So let's say you've got, I mean, you have, say, 30 kids in the class. So you give them number one to 30. It doesn't have to be. And say each student has a number and they kind of own that number. And throughout the year, they accumulate interesting facts about that number. So, for example, example, the number, the guy, the, the boy or girl who's, who's number 25, when you teach them square numbers, they'll be like, oh, that's me. I, I'm a square number. <laughs> and, and the point is that... Um, but maybe at the end of the year, they could produce, hey, a poster. <laughs> they could produce some kind of, they could produce something, some kind of mini project about the number they've owned all year. And the idea is, I suppose, that you can you can do some really interesting stuff on number properties. Um, and also that they, so they could be, sort of have that that kind of, you know, because num- numbers are so interesting. And I think we just don't get enough time to really look at individual numbers. So I think um, it's like a little enrichment project for a student. So then that linked because I thought, well, that's quite sweet and that would be a nice thing to do. And then later in GEMS 19, someone suggested giving a student responsibility for a fact. So there's someone in the class who is owns, say, seven times eight. And that's their fact. And then they they're the person that say you're going through an example on the board and you have to do seven times eight. And then you say, right, um, uh, Bob, what, seven times eight? That's your fact, isn't it? And they'll be like, they'll be all pleased because their fact has come up. And what I liked about this was Colin Beveridge replied to this tweet about this, saying that um, he once had, and I'm coming back to, to year 13 integration, he once had a student in his class and he made her the plus C girl. <laughs> so every time anything happened in class where, like, it was like her superpower, she was the plus C girl. So anytime there was someone forgot the plus C, she was the person who had to say plus C because that was her thing. Um, and I think this is really sweet to sort of give students ownership of some kind of fact and say that they are the expert on that fact in the class. They're the person that everyone will go to for that fact. And I don't know how it would work in practice. I just thought it was really cute. I, I'll tell you what, Joe. Now, this could be the worst idea I've ever had. And that's saying something because <laughs> I've, I've had some shockers. And if this doesn't make any sense when, I come, when this comes out of my mouth, it's being cut straight away. <laughs> but one thing, one thing that I've just thought of there is, because as, as listeners will know, I'm uh, obsessed with the principles of variation, even though I'm, I'm clearly clueless, uh, clueless about it. One thing, I, one thing I'm thinking here is, obviously, one of the key things when we do variation on minimally different examples is students noticing the change that's happened between question two and question three or question five and question six. Now, picture the scene here, Joe Morgan. Imagine we've got this class where we've assigned everybody a number 
Um, and let's say it's between 1 and 30. And let's say we're doing an example on either adding fractions or order of operations or something like that. Now, the kids can recognize their own number within the example. So we can say, OK, here we've got like two thirds. So we've got Jane divided by <laughs> Stephen or something like that. Right. Yeah. But then in the next example, that two on the top changes to a five. And because kids are now on the lookout for what's changed in this example in terms of kind of spotting themselves in there, it becomes a much more obvious than it would if just a two's changed to a five, if that makes sense. So maybe it could be almost used as a way to, to draw kids' attention more explicitly to what's changed in terms of in between questions and just make that a kind of more obvious thing, which then directs their attention to the critical point of the of the question. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier on, that it sounds a bit weird, it sounds a bit dodgy, but it's a bit of fun and it might just make it a bit more memorable to, to students. So again, that quite possibly could be the worst thing I've ever said, but there might be there, there might be someone in that, right? Well, I just think that you're right. There's this thing about having a hook to, to remember something by, and, and you know, we... I don't know the, the the cognitive science behind it, but I do think that um, you know because it can go too far. Like, have you seen those ridiculous um, stories for remembering multiplication facts? Like, there's some really funny stuff on the internet about this. You know, like when you learn your times tables and you should just learn your times tables. But oh yes, so yes, yes, there yes. Are, you know, there are there are all these. I mean, people say I ate and I ate and I was sick on the floor for or something horrible <laughs> like that. And but there's there's a whole load of those, and 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 I think some of it goes too far. But there are certainly, for some things, there are these little hooks that we can um, use to help us remember things. And, and that could be a person. So, you know, if um, you've got one person in the class who is the plus C girl, um, in the exam, the students might be doing their integration and think of that girl's face. Um, and, you know, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it, I don't know. I don't know if there's. No, you're right. And it's and it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Like if, if kids keep thinking two's a prime, you can make a big thing that, well, Lucy isn't a prime number. Like, yes, so yes. forget Absolutely, focusing yeah. into that. I, I think there's someone in this show. Like, yeah. forget everything I said about the variation. The more I think about that, that's horrendous. But in terms <laughs> of kind of giving, assigning numbers to kids, I like this. I yeah. think this is really good. So, yeah. So you've got the, the student labelled number one. Like, we all know he is not prime. You know, that yeah. that is a, that, that might be nice. Anyway, I've got no idea. But I did like the idea of them doing um, a project on their number. I mean, because you could even, I mean, there was a, a there's a, a blog, Mass Ed Ideas, and, and they've got this thing about number elections where you could do it as like an end of the school year enrichment thing where the students have to support a number and, and campaign for that number to win. And you can have pie and stuff like that in there. And it's like, what's the best number? But I do think, you know, students kind of loving numbers for a math teacher. That's a good thing. So I, I, I don't know. But I just yeah, things like that's an example of something that pe some people will read a gems post and think, I hate that. Um, but there'll be some people who it just gives them some some sort of inspiration to go off and play around with them. I like it. And it's the fact that, like, particularly if you use this with year sevens or year eights, those numbers are going to keep cropping up time yeah. and time again, every single topic. So th there's, it's, there's mileage in that. It, it keeps going throughout the whole year. No, I like that, Joe. I'm on board with that. Um, OK, so have we, are we up to number five now? Yes. The, uh, five. the hidden gems. God, give us give us the last one. So I'm, I'm going to, again, I'm, I don't want to necessarily talk about resources. It's funny because, you know, I called my blog Resourceaholic and then increasingly I was really into resources at the time. And I suppose I'm not so much anymore in that I still I still love a good math resource. But I, I feel like, you know, I've moved the focus away from resources and that I'm now 
re- I have different interests now. You know, I'm really, mm. into, I'm really into old textbooks now and, and learning about things that have been lost over the years in terms of methods, ways of doing things that we don't do anymore, a vocabulary we used to use that we don't use anymore. I'm really, and I'm also really into looking at topics in depth and how to explain them and slow down and all this sort of thing. So I have kind of, my interests have moved on from solely caring about resources. And it's a real pain that my website is called Resourceaholic now because, you know, that suggests that that's all I really care about. And, and, and when I write like a gems post, and I get um, I get sort of thousands of people read my gems posts, and and it kind of annoys me that my my other posts that I've put because my gems posts it's not my stuff it's it's other people's things I'm sharing it's none of my original thought goes into that and then I I write something else like I wrote a, a post about map scale a couple of weeks ago and I put so much work into that and I really you know I I've really researched it I've really thought about why do we teach map scale so badly and how can we teach it differently. And those posts don't get anywhere near as many reads as my gems. So I think um, I'm frustrated in a way that the that people kind of uh, love the posts with all other people's ideas. Um, and yet the things that I'm trying to focus on are, are kind of not as not as uh, not as far reaching. Anyway, the reason I say that is, again, for my hidden gems, I've chosen something that's not a resource, um, but is is more a kind of idea that. Um, that is just something to have a think about, really. And this is one comes from Chris Smith's newsletter. Now, Chris is going to be on the podcast, isn't he? Have you lined him up? He is. Yeah. He's gone, glo- going global by bringing the Scots in here. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Um, and, and Chris um, Chris writes a newsletter, and he's been doing it for years, and it's absolutely lovely. And it's like his department newsletter for his math department. So it has, like, the milk rotor and stuff like that in it. But it's also got – it's a bit like a Maths Gems post in a way, and it's just got sort of a selection of nice little ideas and things that Chris has seen. And, and it's, it's lovely. It's such a nice newsletter. And, he's also got – have you seen some of his, like, celebrity people who've got this? flipping know, he's got rachel riley and stuff i know i'm absolutely fuming so yeah yeah <laughs> yeah well, no, he's, he's got a picture it, of like hannah fry holding his newsletter and things like that i mean hannah fry she's old hat she's been on the show that's absolutely fine we're, we're, we're mates riley. with her joe but riley <laughs> how has he done that anyway never oh, mind we'll move on from that go, go yeah. on tell um, me more anyway, what happened was he, uh, a few years ago when i first started my gems chris sent me um all of his old newsletters so he sent it was a, a loads of them he sent me the pdfs to go through and it was wonderful because again i think it was when i was still on maternity leave so i had time to do this and i just sat and read all his old newsletters and, and i wrote two posts that were called newsletter gems where they were gems posts but everything was taken from his old newsletters and um this was a really nice idea um and i'll read it this is chris's words not mine Um, I gave each pupil an A4 sheet of paper with their name and my signature on it and told them they had a test coming up and they were allowed to bring the blank page in with them. It was up to them what they did with the page. If they wrote on it, fine. If they didn't, fine. Immediately, one of the more troublesome pupils shouted out, great, I'm going to copy down all my examples from the book. Objective one achieved. They were going to revise. (laughs) At the end of the test, I collected their sheets to look at them in more detail it was very rewarding when pupils pretty much demanded they got them back. Objective two achieved. My pupils now value all of their revision notes. Now, that is uh-huh. lovely because what he's done is it just by handing out a blank piece of paper and saying this particular piece of paper here, the one I've signed, is the one thing you're allowed to bring into the test. They all go and revise. And we all know that students often don't revise from maths tests. And it's actually sort of they think that there's, that there's some kind of privilege that they get to make some notes. 
what a cute idea. I love that. That's good. And then, and then linked to, because that was in Gems 18. Now, in Gems 7, I'd written, now there was um, a blogger and her, her Twitter handle was Gemma P. Duck. And she used to write such lovely blog posts reflecting on her, um, what she'd been doing in the classroom. And a lot of people don't do that anymore. I think Twitter became a slightly more aggressive place where people were sort of scared of the sort of um, criticism because sometimes people are so unkind. So I think people don't really share what they do in the classroom like they used to. But it used to be that Gemma used to do a, a regular blog about, about what she did in the classroom. And she may have just stopped because she doesn't have time anymore. But she wrote a similar idea to Chris's and she said occasionally I will finish a topic and give students time to create a cheat sheet which would be helpful if sitting an assessment on the topic the twist is that then she gives them a wee test she's Scottish by the way she gives them a wee test and she gives them someone else's cheat sheet and then that person so basically during this test um so so they've all made this cheat sheet that she gave them time in the lesson to create then she gives them a test and let's say I get given your cheat sheet during the test and afterwards, I might come up to you and say, Craig, that's, that your cheat sheet was rubbish. Um, it didn't help me at all in the test. Um, or maybe I'll say, to, I'll say to you, Craig, your cheat sheet was so helpful. That, is a, that was a really good way of summarising the topic. Um, and I think that's a really lovely idea as well, that idea of um, they make their sheets thinking they're for them. And the ones that are a bit lazy don't put much effort into it. But then someone else has to use that in the test. And I thought that was a really nice idea as well. That is interesting. And it's just reminded me of a, a piece of research. And I was, I was going to write about this in the book, but it, it just didn't fit in. And it's a kind of a, an extra little twist on, on, on Gemma's idea there that um, one really powerful way and um, of getting kids to put some extra time into to revising and, and thinking hard about a subject is if they know they're going to be responsible for explaining it to somebody else or teaching it to somebody else. Um, and it tends to lead them to put more effort in than if it's just for themselves to understand, if that makes sense. So there's almost a little twist on that, that if, if you know that your cheat sheet is going to be randomly assigned to somebody else and you're going to be, in a sense, held responsible for how yeah. useful that is, mm -hmm. perhaps that's going to cause you to put that extra bit of effort into to your preparation. So I love that. Yeah, I love it. I think both. I mean, both of them are interesting about having these sheets and quizzes, because I mean, that's something I, I've never used either of these ideas as they've been presented by the writers. But what I have done is when I started doing multiple choice quizzes in my lessons, and I started doing them weekly and I've, I've, I've presented about that and blogged about it loads of times about how much I like doing a weekly multiple choice quiz. But I always did open book quizzes. And, and the main reason I did open book quizzes was because I wanted students to realise that if they um, kind of made good notes or, or, or wrote or, or did really good clear examples and their workings were set out well in lessons, then when it got to the, the quiz at the end of the week, um, when they looked in their notes, it would be easier for them to figure out what was going on. So, you know, I've used the idea of kind of uh, uh, open book quizzes in a slightly different way to kind of improve the quality of students' classwork. But I do, I really like Chris's idea of um, give, saying you're allowed to bring one sheet into the test review. It's up to you what you write on it, just as a way of getting them to revise. Because I just think that more than other subjects, students just have no clue how to revise maths. Um, and sometimes revising maths is just doing lots of practice. But there are facts that students need to know. There is there is knowledge they can write on a piece of paper and it will help them when they're in the exam. 
So you're right, and it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because then, of course, the danger is we, we've got to then do the transition to move them away from that paper. And it's, it's yeah. we, we've we've mentioned displays. What um, again? We have different views on this, Joe Morgan. But what one of my reasons <laughs> why I want to ban all displays is for this very reason that that students tend to rely upon them because they know if they glance up, they can see all the prime numbers and oh, if they glance yeah. over there <laughs> yeah, yeah. and all all that kind of stuff. So at some point, we've got to move kids away from these kind of open books. But as as yeah. a as a way to get them revising, as a way to get them to see the value of taking good notes, yeah. of structuring their work and stuff, I, I think it's a crucial stepping stone. So yeah. I love that. I mean, I'll tell you what, Joe, oh, oh, sorry, go on. I was just going to say on displays, I, I, I agree. I don't, I don't <laughs> like the sort of displays that, that list facts that, and also displays that are all around the whiteboard at the front. And it's funny because I'm so, when you first talked about that, and I thought, um, that's rubbish, they're not a distraction at all. And then I remember I was on a, a CPD thing in an English classroom and I found myself reading the displays around the board and thinking, <laughs> oh my God, like that, maybe there is something there where I was being distracted myself after me being so adamant that they're not a distraction. I actually now, and in fact, I was at an MA council meeting the other day and the MA council meetings happen in um, uh, um, in a room where on the wall it lists all the former presidents and i kept finding myself reading the list of former presidents <laughs> and not listening to what happened in the meeting so yes i think you do have a point but i do think also i've been in maths classrooms and there are some maths classrooms i go into at the moment where there's not a thing on the wall it's a brand new school and it's all kind of um um very very bare walls throughout the whole school and there's and and the, and the math classroom has just got nothing in it there's no there's a desk at the front and there's students desks and there's a, a plasma screen on the wall and that's it and then, sounds ideal to well, me yeah. sounds like heaven the thing is that they're kind of yeah i mean i mean i like the idea of having mini uh, not mini whiteboards sorry big whiteboards on the wall and stuff yes. like that but the thing is that you go in that classroom and i don't know i'm just kind of not feeling i'm not feeling very like um I don't know. It's almost it's almost like there's not a warmth about it. Then in the classroom yes. next door where there's all this lovely colour and displays. And I think this is a this is a classroom where where everyone loves maths and it's just such a nice, warm place to be. So I think the thing is, if, what I would like, because a lot of the studies that you, you talk about are mainly about primary. And, I, and maybe there have been studies on secondary and the idea of displays being cognitive overload. But what I would like to do is to, uh, I'd like to see a long term study of, like, say, over a year. Students that go to maths lessons in a totally white, in a room with totally white walls, and then students that go to a maths lesson in a room where maybe there's not stuff on the front wall that's distracting, but maybe kind of the back wall has got some lovely like maths display, and there's clearly a sense that the teacher is really into this kind of lovely enriching maths. And I just wonder if it has any impact on how much they like maths. You know, I, I just yeah. I, th I think there's. I, th I think you're right. I think there's something in, um, in that. And again, I like to kind of push it to the extreme just to just to get people talking um, and, and people thinking. I think there's. I, I think, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't like a completely white room, but a bit, what about a bit of colour, Joe? Could I interest you in that? A bit of soft, I and mean, we've just had our lounge painted, <laughs> and it used to be white. Yeah. And I, I didn't want it painted, but my wife was saying, well, come on, we've got to get this. We've, we've been in this house six years. We've got, to, we've got to actually do something to this house at some point. So I relented. We've painted, and it's flipping brilliant. Like, what, I love it. I feel warm. Huh. I, I mean, I couldn't tell you the colour. It's, I don't know, chocolate's maybe involved in the name <laughs> or something like that. I've no, it was Dulux's painted the year 2017 or something oh, like that nice. so and it's just 
I feel warm. I feel relaxed. So I'm wondering right. whether almost like feature walls, but not with displays, okay. but just like different different colours. Maybe that's the Maybe. happy medium. Maybe. Possibly. The thing is, I don't know what it is, but I just think that if I go into a classroom, I don't know. I think I think it's about just that feeling of being in a nice place. And I think that I, I, I totally get the idea about the, the overload of the displays on the front wall. But yeah, there's something there's something that doesn't sit right with me with totally bare classrooms. And in fact, people have tweeted pictures of their classrooms. Actually, what's interesting is that someone who tweeted a picture of their I think it might have been Ben Gordon. He tweeted a picture of his classroom where he, he stripped out all the displays. Um, but it was a really nice, modern classroom. And it was like, you know, there was probably windows and stuff like that. Whereas my last school I worked in, it, we, it was a really sort of tatty, grotty school. And a lot of schools are, you know, where the paint was all peeing off the walls. And and um, and, it, and I suppose that you kind of, you know what, we used to use displays to cover inappropriate graffiti. <laughs> yes. Like seriously, like I was working in a boys, a boys school where, boy, why do boys draw penises everywhere? I don't know. But they have a thing about that, you know, everywhere there's stuff on the wall. Um, and so we were like, we were putting up displays just to cover that up sometimes. So, you know, there's all these, there's all these things where you, which sort of come into play there, where you, but where you don't want, if you've got a really tatty, horrible old classroom, you kind of just want to cheer it up a bit. Um, and then maybe it's easier for people in these sort of nice modern classrooms with a nice view to say, I'm going to, um, I'm going to take all my displays down. Don't know. <laughs> but anyway, I, I am now, every time I share a display on my blog, I say corridor display because I don't want, you know, I don't want <laughs> anyone to think that I am saying we should just have displays in the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Joe. So now I want to discuss Twitter favourites. So whenever we agreed to do this, this 100th Math Gem special podcast, I put a little announcement out on Twitter asking for people's favourite Twitter gems. Now, it's funny, when we were talking off mic before we started recording, you said that you'd posted the same thing on Facebook and people had replied saying they just like all of them, right? And, it's, <laughs> yeah. and, and again, I got about 10 tweets saying the same thing. It's impossible to choose. I'm thinking, well, just flip and choose. That's what I'm asking you to choose, you know. It doesn't help the feature to say all of them. But it's, you, you can understand the point, can't you? Because I think people have just got so much out of them over the years that there's just so many favourites, if that makes sense yeah it's nice because i mean someone someone tweeted me and said um when i tweeted my hundredth post and she said um my site is the first that she directs teachers to and it always makes her excited to plan something better than before no matter how tired she is and i love it when people say things like that because it does i mean you know i don't make any money out of these and i don't gain anything i just like getting feedback from teachers who say that it makes their life easier or it gives them some inspiration so i i love that but yes it was it was quite funny that we asked for people to pick their favorites and they said no like more <laughs> <laughs> i will say just on just on that john i'm, not, I'm literally not just saying this because because you're on the show but it's one of my highlights of you know the week or the month whenever you put a post post up because as we've talked about before you never know what's going to be in there it could be could be anything and i've always like I'm, I'm into Twitter. I'm not as obsessed as you are, obviously. I don't, I don't think any human I've ever met is. But I, I, cer I certainly enjoy Twitter. But I, I have never, there's always at least two of the five resources that I've not seen before within there. And I, I absolutely love it. So well, that's good. Um, I mean, I do, I follow an awful lot. You see, that's the problem. When I first joined, I tried to follow every maths teacher on Twitter to the point where I was searching for maths teachers. <laughs> and I got to 2,500 and I couldn't follow anyone else because that's just totally ridiculous to have that many people in your feed. So 
I stopped. But that then bothers me because there's an awful lot of math teachers I don't follow. So I might miss things. And I hate, I mean, it's like, you know, the work you do with uh, Tez. And, you know, you said that the, one of the main reasons that we do that, that we have a panel of people that write reviews when, that when people add a resource to Tez, is because we don't want to miss anything. Mm. You know, we're looking for those great resources. And then if we give that person a good review, they will continue to share. Yes. And I always think that if someone tweets something amazing and no one sees it, then they just won't keep tweeting amazing stuff. And that stuff will just stay in their classroom forever. And it won't. And the rest of the country won't benefit from it. So, you know, I still feel like I, I don't I don't do enough because I don't follow everyone. But it is it's quite overwhelming at times. Oh, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm thinking of cutting Mark McCourt off because I'm, I'm sick of following him now. So he's tweeting nonsense <laughs> these days. So maybe, maybe you can unfollow him as well. And then that at least will free up a bit of space. Anyway, right. Mark, Mark McCourt. Sorry, just to say, Mark McCourt does say some of the most. I mean, he he said at MathConf 8, which was years ago, he said teacher training should be. Here's five ways of communicating each of the 320 things in the curriculum. And I think that's one of the best things anyone's ever said. He thinks that all teacher training for maths teachers should be just about how to communicate all those things that we have to teach. But that's not what teacher training is. And I think Mark says things that are so incredibly insightful and so like, yes, he's hit the nail on the head. But then he says, you know statistics is rubbish and things like that and yeah that's a shame <laughs> yeah it is it is a real shame it's it a real shame, shame. <laughs> um, he, he'll be he'll be back on the show promoting he's got a book coming out on mastery so yeah, he'll, he'll, he's great. coming out coming out of the woodwork back on the show promoting that so there'll be <laughs> there'll be arguments of plenty there anyway right so uh, twitter favorites so um, i've got three that i want to just discuss with you here the first one was from ian Tompkins, and he said that i love gem 26 because it featured pi day and i love any way to make writing the date more interesting like tomorrow could be and this is obviously what when he wrote the post uh, six of the 12 18 so i'll write multiples of six day underneath the date um or what's the first school day next year that can be written only using primes and what i like about this there's, there's two reasons um that i was glad ian picked this out the first is that um i, I love a bit of pie day as well um and I, I like and chris smith who we mentioned before he's obsessed with pie day and i'm sure we'll talk about yeah. that when, when he when he comes on the show but also it's is it relates back to something we've been talking about in this conversation joe just about getting kids excited about numbers and not missing an opportunity to and i'm not saying here link maths into the real world like shoehorn it in but just little mm -hmm. things like that like the date what's interesting about this date yeah. and it's just it just gets kids interested and excited so yeah i like that one did, did you like that as well yeah, and the thing is, I mean, I'm always a bit, I mean, Pi Day, you know, we don't write our dates with the month first, and I know that really bothers lots of people, so, you know, <laughs> the, we, we don't have a 3-14, we have a 14-3. Um, so, um, Pi Day is something where, if anyone asks me for ideas for Pi Day, I just point them in Christmas direction, because he is, like, the Pi Day expert. Um, but it's nice when schools do enrichment things to celebrate anything to do with maths, it's lovely. But yeah, the thing about the day, again, it's it's something where if you take everything so too seriously, if you're if you're a teacher who's who's um, who just kind of takes the 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 you know it's like yeah there's all these lovely things like silent teacher and all these things that people are doing at the moment and it's like that stuff all has a huge impact on how much students learn. But taking one second to say hey well look what's fun in the day today um, yeah it might not have a huge impact on what they're learning but again it's just that lovely enrichment and that yeah our numbers great um, and I, it was really interesting I went to observe a teacher see I get I get to say this a lot now because I observe <laughs> teachers all day every day I saw a teacher the other day 
who every single lesson she gets them to write the date in Roman numerals. And that was interesting because I thought, we don't do Roman numerals in secondary. I don't care if my students know Roman numerals. That is a primary curriculum thing. And I think it's great that it's on the primary curriculum. I think, I'm not sure. But um, I never see anyone do Roman numerals in uh, secondary because it's not on the curriculum. And I thought actually by getting them to write the date in Roman numerals every day, one thing that she's doing is, is that she's keeping that knowledge alive for them. So they will not you know, forget Roman numerals now because they're doing it every day. And I don't know whether that matters, but it was just quite a nice, sweet thing to see in a lesson. Um, so, you know, and I know that some teachers do other things with the date where they they get they get students to to come up with a sum using the lesson date or something like that. But, yeah, I think it's quite these things are nice and they're not essentials. They're just kind of nice to have. I like it. No, fantastic. Couldn't agree more with that one. Um, second one was from Richard Coles. And now, <laughs> again, I'm pleased. Uh, there's no obviously bias involved here why, why <laughs> I've chosen to include this one. But he, he mentions a website. I don't know if you've come across this one, Joe, called ssddproblems.com. Uh, it's a wonderful mm-hmm. website. I don't know who's who's put that together. <laughs> but Richard says, it will be lovely to hear you two discuss the benefits of these because you inspired the blog at a, a presentation that you gave the year before. And I think this was the Just Maths um uh, conference that, that, that I spoke at now I was gonna I'm really pleased this has come up Joe because I've got a new way of using these SSDD problems and I'm going to pitch to you now to see if you like this so for the benefit of listeners who um, who aren't aware of these this was an idea I talked about in the book and SSDD stands for same surface different deep and the the rationale behind these problems are that you give instead of giving students four problems whose surface structures are completely different so set in different contexts one might be money one's a holiday one's this one's that but whose deep structures are all the same so they're all to do with fractions or they're all to do with pythagoras or whatever instead you give students four problems who all look the same so maybe they've got the same shape involved maybe they've got the same context but whose deep structures the topics that they cover are different and it really gets kids good i found at spotting what questions are about which is the key to problem solving if kids don't recognize what a question's about they can't then use all their skills and knowledge about that particular concept to answer the question so we've um, we've certainly been using it over the last couple of years regularly with our year 11 uh, our year 11 students and anytime i'm lucky enough to visit schools and give talks to teachers um, this these days i say that a regular diet of two sets of these um per week at this time of year so we're recording this in december and then ramping that up as year 11s get closer to the exam i think it's a really useful thing but joe morgan here is my new idea for these right ready for this one yeah so do you remember um must have been three or four years ago the infamous hannah's sweets question right yeah great question question. now i don't know about you so hannah's sweets for people who don't know is it was a um, it was old spec edxl higher tier gcse it was a probability question but actually led to the formation of a quadratic um, equation and kid a lot of kids hadn't seen this before it'd been on an older paper but kids hadn't seen this Um, and a lot of kids weren't prepared for it and were really freaked out by it now i don't know about you but my reaction to hannah's sweets the next year was to teach kids loads of questions that looked like hannah's sweets to make sure that they were prepared in case it came (laughs) up again right yeah, well, I even showed them Hannah's Sweet. I, you know, that became part of my teaching of probability. I'll say, look at this question, Hannah's Sweet. There was a petition about this question. Exactly. Let's do those yeah. Exactly. Now, here's the, <laughs> and I thought that was a good idea, right? But here's the problem with that, Joe. 
that you, kids then assume every flipping tree diagram question is Hannah's sweets. <laughs> so I had kids looking for the quadratic in like a normal tree diagram question. <laughs> so my point from this is I think SSDDs can, can have the answer here. So imagine you've just done a mock exam with your year 11s. And mm -hmm. um, question seven is one that they've got wrong. And, and question seven, some problem solving one or whatever. Now, in the past, I would have gone through question seven with the kids and given them another question like question seven, whatever, whatever that might be on. But the problem with that is kids then are just looking out for that exact same question again the next time. Whereas um, what um, and he's, he's called... Um, Mr. Fudger, um, Fudge Maths, um, who, who writes um, writes SSDDs for the website. What he did with <laughs> Hannah's Sweets and what I've started doing now is instead of, well, by all means, go through the example, go through Hannah's Sweets or go through question seven that kids have struggled with on an exam, but then give them a set of SSDDs where one of the four is the Hannah Sweets question or the question seven, but the other three look like it. So in the context of Hannah Sweets, but one is a bog standard normal tree diagram question, maybe one's with replacement, one's without replacement. <laughs> then you've got the Hannah Sweets in there. Then you've got another twist in there so that kids get to experience the Hannah Sweets thing. But at the same time, they also get the benefit of the SSDD in terms of they're looking for differences, they're looking for the keywords, and they're constantly asking themselves, what is this question about? Instead of just assuming it's a Hannah Sweets one. Does that make sense? That does. And I think that you could it'd be quite, it'd be almost easier to make these resources because you can take kind of any sort of challenging old exam question as your basis and then just sort of edit that question. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly yeah. right. And again, yeah. if you if it's mock exam season has just kind of yeah. gone or you're going to be doing loads of loads of kind of practice things. If kids go wrong on a question, take that and use that as yeah. the basis for a set of SSDDs. Then ideally email it to me at SSDDproblems.com <laughs> and everyone can benefit from it. But that that's how I've been using those SSDDs. Um, have, you, have you been making a bit of use of them, Joe? Um, I haven't. And actually, what again, it's interesting because I'm in schools now that, and I hear about resources they've used in one school I'm in. They've said that they used them a lot in the run up to their exams last year. So it seems like they're being used mainly as a revision resource because they cover that sort of a number of topics. Um, and I think, you know, there's I think that they're. I think they're harder to make than they sound. So, you know, it's interesting because sometimes I'll go to, to get an SSD problem from your site and there'll be one and I think, oh, but this is all the same deep, isn't it? So, you know, there's that. I think it's quite hard to say this question, you know, your original example that you gave when you did that conference last year. And it was um, it was about how, you know, you you want students to do Pythagoras. And instead of giving them a whole load of problems on Pythagoras where they don't have to make that decision to use Pythagoras, it was like, let's give them a problem with a triangle in. And there's a question where they find the error of a triangle and a question where they use Pythagoras and a question where they, I don't know, do some trigonometry and, and like all these things. And that makes a lot of sense. But I think um, sometimes you sort of you look at an SSDD problem and you think, well, actually, I think this is all the same topic. Um, the questions around the edge. And I think so. I think it's actually quite hard to kind of to to get this right but I think what you're saying there makes a lot of sense to me so I, I quite think, like this where you're yeah, going with it yeah I think there's two things there Joe I think one it, you're right it is flipping hard to write these yeah. things I mean there's there's over 400 on the site now I've maybe written 150 of them and I, I'm all SSDD'd out at the moment like yeah fl flipping yeah. it but 
To flip it round, I quite like these sets where actually the domain that they cover isn't the whole of maths. It's not four completely mm-hmm. different topics. It's actually four on percentages. And it's yeah. actually making students, is this one a compound interest one? This is a backwards percentage one. This is a percent of an amount one. Yep. This is a percent okay. increase one. So I quite yeah. like those narrow ones because we all know that kids have, have used the wrong process on a percentage question or used the wrong one on a sharing in a ratio question. So just for getting kids to, and for me, the, the, the kind of message is throw them off autopilot. You don't want kids just cruising through these kind of problems thinking that I'm just going to solve this the exact same way as I've solved the three or four that came before it. You, we've got to get kids thinking hard and thinking, what is this question about? And for me, that's, that's what they, that's what they do. So yeah, I, I'm a little bit obsessed with them and thank you for, for featuring yeah. those, Joe. After you, um, I put the <laughs> tweet out, you featured them. And since they've been, and it's been live like about six months or so now, but there's been, yeah, I think close to half a million unique people have visited the site. There's been uh, questions have been shared in, uh, written by people in 18 different countries and stuff. So it's, um, yeah, yeah, there's there's something in that. And that was uh, was thanks to being featured in a Maths Gems post. So um, (laughs) thank you for that. I mean, it's the same variationstheory.com. I mean, obviously, you talked about it at a conference, and then it went crazy, didn't it? Like everyone went on it, and you had a huge amount of interest. And there's things like that where then when I put them in my gems post, I think, well, everyone already knows about this now. But I probably am reaching because a slightly different audience. Um, I use variationstheory.com a lot now. Like, so you know, I'm I am not doing a, as much teaching this year as I did last year, but but I'm using it in my interventions. So I have a bottom set year 11 intervention. I'm not allowed to say bottom set anymore, but I have this really weak class of uh, of uh, students who who really struggle with some basics. And I'm using tons of variationtheory.com stuff with them, and it's going really well. So, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of all your sites. <laughs> oh, it's very, very kind. I mean, you, you are legally obliged to say that as a guest on the podcast, <laughs> but I, I appreciate that. And I will say for listeners, um, over the last kind of couple of weeks or so, there's been a hell of a lot of new uh, stuff uploaded to the variationtheory.com site by authors all, all around the place. Some of the best I've ever seen. So, so, oh, so, do, so do in fact, I, did, um, I ran an A-level work because I'm involved in a maths hub now because I joined, cause I joined Harrison and they run a maths hub. So it's been really nice for me because I get to run more CPD than I've ever had the chance to run before. And I ran um, a work group day on um, A-level teaching. And it's such an exciting work group because we're looking at A-level pedagogy um, from a new perspective. You know, we're, we're saying what ideas can we bring in from basically from your book? Um, my first slide that I showed was was a picture of your book. And I said, well, has anyone here read this? Um, and and what we're going to do is we're going to take lots of ideas from this book and we're going to say, um, let's see if these will work in, in A-level teaching. Um, and and yeah, we we went to variationtheory.com during the, the session and we looked at the, the A-level ones you had on there and, and everyone was sort of really excited about how we can use these things because I think A-level is somewhere where we really we really do um, overload our students. You know, I, I will give numerous examples that are totally different and then give them an exercise with a load of stuff that's totally different to what I've just gone through. And that's, you know, I think a lot of A-level teaching kind of looks like that because we try and cover all these really big concepts at once. And actually the kind of the idea of uh, kind of the atomization of those topics and sort of slowing down and doing the example problem pairs and and that kind of thing works really well at A-level. And it's not something that I've read much about or that anyone's really talking about much. So that's exciting. And and it's good that you have an A-level section on that site. 
Yeah, and I hope it grows. And and for, for anybody listening who's also thinking of running a CPD session, um, opening with a slide of my book, <laughs> I tend to think is the best way you can start one of those off. So now, thanks, thanks for that. And in fact, I don't know if anyone's ever suggested this on the podcast, so I just I don't want to talk about your book too much. But let's just let me just mention that um, uh, schools that are using your book well, it seems to me, are schools where everyone in the department has a copy. And they almost sort of run a book club in a way. So they'll have, say, a monthly CPD session where they would have all read one chapter and then they'll get together in their department meeting and they'll discuss that chapter and anything they've tried from it and that kind of thing. And I know of schools that do that. And, and it's like it is their math CPD for the year is basically a, a book club of your book. Um, and I suggest this to people um, when I run CPD sessions now. And, and everyone thinks this is a great way to 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 bring math CPD back into schools, because we all know that in department meetings, we just don't get much time for CPD. And I do think that's a lovely idea. The kind of the book club, everyone reads a chapter at a time is, is, is quite a nice way of doing it. I mean, I, I couldn't possibly comment, but yes, I, <laughs> if, if pushed, I would say that is an excellent idea. Yes. <laughs> um, final one, final one of the Twitter favourites. This is from, from our, our mutual friend, um, David Farham. Am I saying his surname right there, Joe? I have no idea, but I absolutely love David. He's such a great guy. He, um, Dag, he, Dag's Maths, is he on Dag's Twitter? Dag's Maths, yeah, yeah, he is on Twitter. He's not he's not a big tweeter, but I see him at, at all conferences I go to, and, and he's 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 a um, really nice guy. And he says, I mean, this was lovely. He, he picked out an actual Gems post where he, he found loads and loads of, uh, well, sorry, he picked up four different Gems posts where he, he found resources that, that really transformed him. But I, I particularly like his quote, he said. He says, and he's talking about Math Gems, he says, it has never failed to help me look more informed than I really am and to prompt <laughs> me to think about what I'm doing and why, which I thought was lovely. Um, and he mentions from Math Gems 11, Quick Key, which is, which is a classic uh, way of, um, of marking, kind of Collecting in results from from multiple choice questions. Number twenty six, Big Don, Don Stewart. I'm sure he'll come up again at, at some point in this conversation. Forty seven, Access Maths, another cracker, and then sixty two, Symbolu. Um, is there any of those you want to quickly mention, Joe? The, well, uh, quickly is interesting. I must. When I next see David, I'll have to ask him if he uses quickly because. It was supposed to be, you know, it, it was a bit, to me, it was like Plickers. Those two things are things that I discovered around the same time. Plickers being the one where you kind of use your iPad to scan the room and they all hold up their multiple choice answers and you straight away see what they got right and wrong and you get all these diagnostics. And then um, at around the same time, I discovered QuickKey, which is, again, it's an app where you can scan multiple choice quiz answers and it marks it for you. And both of them I had trouble using. Like I didn't, I didn't find that, so Plickers, Stickers, I found that, yeah, I was scanning the room. All the students are holding up these little barcode things with their answer. And I was trying to scan the room, pick their answers up. And I just found that um, it, it, was, it wasn't as easy as people made it look, like it wasn't picking up all the answers. And I kind of gave up on that one quickly. Um, and maybe other people have had better success with that. And then I tried QuickKey to mark multiple choice quizzes. And it was like the first time I did it, but it kept saying too much shadow, too much light. And in the end, it was just quicker for me to just mark the multiple choice quizzes because that's really quick to do anyway. Um, but so it's interesting because I know other people have had more success with these things. And the thing is, I give up on things really quickly. So with a, I tried quick key once, um, like the idea. But then I said, well, I love multiple choice quizzes, but I'm just going to quickly mark them myself rather than try and scan everything in. So it's interesting to see. I, I'm going to have to ask David whether he uses that because it's, pro it's probably just me being not very techie, that I'm not very good with these things. Yeah, um, but at the same time, it's, it's a classic thing where technology can potentially get in the way, can't it? It's supposed to save time and stuff, but if, it, if it's not working, it can real it can kill off a lesson sometimes, can't it? Um, yeah, and, yeah. 
it's funny because I've seen clickers demonstrated in a in a staff briefing. So we had this is my last school. We had the whole room of teachers, and we were all given these little voting things. And then and then the the teacher demonstrated it by get, giving us a silly question, and we all had to vote. And she scanned the room. And I'm thinking, yeah, but but I know that she's not picked up everyone's answer there. And yes. and but we no one in the staff room would have realised that. Everyone thought, oh look, there's the results on the board. Isn't that good? Because no one knew how many people were in the staff room. Whereas <laughs> in your lesson, when you do that scanning thing, and it says we've picked up 25 answers you're thinking well there's you know five people that haven't been picked up there let me just try and get their results let me scan them again and yeah it just becomes a bit silly so yeah I think some people use these things really effectively and I'm not saying that quick key and clickers are no good I know that at the time Bodor who was head of maths at Michaela then she was really into quick key and you know she sort of said I don't understand why you're having with it so easy to use and I think you know these things um if you if you're sort of use them very fluently and you're, you're sort of used to using them they probably save a lot of time um i'm not the most techie person in the world to be honest um, john stewart comes up all the time absolutely that you know he i i would just have him in every gems post if i could i mean he he um he went a bit quiet for a while but last week he he shared a load of new resources which was really exciting so i'm pleased to see he's sort of back sharing stuff um access maths that you mentioned um yeah loads of really nice particularly good revision resources there and the Simbaloo I wanted to mention this is interesting so Simbaloo uh, is a bit like a Padlet where it's basically you can create a website that has lots of links to things and the one that David's mentioned that Simbaloo that was made by um, Emma Bell and that's e uh, at EJ Mass on Twitter and it's it's been my home page on my computer at home um, for a couple of years now so basically when I open up Chrome at home the first the page that opens up is Emma's Simbaloo, and it's basically a link to loads and loads of really great maths websites. And I particularly like it that Resourceaholic is the sort of first one on there. So I, I love that Simbaloo because I think it just it means that just I have this page open with all these links. And then more recently, Hannah, who's at Miss Radders on Twitter, she shared a Padlet and that was in Gems 94. And that was a similar thing. And, and, and the thing is that this would be great for every teacher in a maths department to have when they open up their homepage on the internet to have this site come up. Because what I find is that in a lot of schools, a lot of teachers don't know any website to get resources or to get really nice um, puzzles or problems for their students. And, and they kind of only really know tears and that's the only place they ever go. Um, and I think what the one that Hannah made, the Padlet, um, is something that she made because she's head of maths and so everyone on her team can use that Padlet as their kind of their their toolkit, their kind of um, when they're planning a lesson, there it is with all those links ready for them. I think that's quite nice. But Absolutely. again, I, anything that has resourceholic.com at the top is easy for me. Absolutely. And yeah, I thought, I mean, I, I love Emma's Simbaloo. I've, I've used that myself for a good few years now, but, and Hannah's, I thought was absolutely superb. Yeah, I really, really like that. Yeah. Right, Joe Morgan. Anyway, it's time for a surprise for you here. Now, whenever I sent through the original running order, this wasn't on there deliberately because <laughs> uh, all listeners know that you love a quiz. I mean, you're uh, the reigning champion um, of the, uh, of the, well, I, I can't even remember the name of the flipping conference that we won. How do we say it? Where we won the quiz. Well, it was, no, I, I found out more about this. We were calling it Brick Me. Yeah. Um, but I think it's Bick Me. But now I found out that the international one is ICME. So that's the International Congress ah. of Maths Education, um, which is happening, I believe, in Shanghai next year. 
Um, and yeah, we should all go to that one day because that'd be fun. Well, um, do, do we not get in free as quiz winners or something? Maybe. Unfortunately, not. No, it's a shame, isn't it? I mean, they really. But but that would be that would be a bit of a. Um, I don't know who'd pay for us to go, but well, yeah, that's... that would be that would be fun. Well, if um, the listeners are listening and they want me and Joe to do some conference takeaways, <laughs> podcasts from Shanghai are available. That's all I'll say. We're available. But you. Um, oh, sorry. Go on, Joe. No, it's just that, that, that I believe that's why they call it Bick Me is because it's the British version of, of Ick Me. But yeah, we were, call, we were calling it Brick Me. And Brick yes, me. we won the quiz quite spectacularly. I we think. won the quiz. We won the quiz. But also on that series of Conference Takeaway podcasts, <laughs> I sprung a quiz on you that you did absolutely oh, woeful at. Absolutely woeful at. Yeah, so yeah I that thought, was embarrassing. I, I didn't know when Cockroft was and things like that. That was terrible. That's right. So I thought you'll love nothing more than a Maths Gems quiz. So I'm going to tell you how this is going to work, Joe. Now, you've got to promise me and the listeners you're not going to cheat here you're not going to look up you you're not looking at your computer or anything like that Um, and also because i like to kind of uh, provide fun for everybody on the mr bart mass podcast you can play along at home right so the way this is going to work is i'm going to give you a little segment of a description that you've used to describe a maths gem right and if you get it right from that that's two points Okay. Right. okay. If you need a hint, the hint will be I'll tell you which Maths Gems post it came from. But if okay. you get it right from that, you only get one point. Okay? Right. All right. And I've tried to do this in terms of easiest to hardest, but God knows what's <laughs> going to happen. Here. I'll be honest, I haven't put all that much thought into this, but it'll be fine. Right. Okay. So there's five of these. So again, be ready at home. Pen and paper at the ready. You can yell out at your radio or at your phone. What is Joe Morgan describing here? Okay. So, I, oh, and the other thing is, I haven't been able to source any like sound effects. So I'm just going to beep out keywords by making a beep noise myself. Okay. <laughs> so it's high tech. It's high tech. Okay. Here we go. So number one, I blogged about Beep's resources early this year. In the last couple of weeks, he shared some new angles resources to add to his extensive collection on Tez. These sets of progressively difficult questions for angles that start from straight lines and angles around a point are very well written for drawing out misconceptions. Joe Morgan, what resource were you talking about there? That's the easiest one ever. That is David Morse um, and his uh, Twitter handle is at Maths for Everyone and he tweets awesome awesome gcse and key stage three stuff like really really good and i was talking he he, he came out with those stuff on angles where it's like angles on a straight line and, ang- and then another set of angles on a triangle but they're so good those resources because they go they they go in sort of three sets as first step strengthen and extend and they're, they're such well-written resources they go well with my topics in depth stuff so yeah that is that is the easiest question anyone's ever asked me for well, that's just to warm you up there, Joe, to get, get, the, get the confidence high. So there we go. Perfect. And yeah, just to add to that, um, as Tez Maths advisor, it's been a flipping godsend now. Because anytime I'm short of a resource for a newsletter or something, I just go and grab one of David's. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous how good they are. Right. OK, next one. Uh, so, Joe Morgan, what resource are you talking about here? Thanks to Beep for sharing an interesting new resource idea. Some of the bigger GCSE questions require a number of different strands of knowledge and skill. He breaks these big questions down into these strands and as students practice each strand separately before bringing it all together to address the bigger problem. What's that? Oh, God, I don't know. Hold on. Uh, (laughs) uh, Who does that? So they bring they break down the topic and then bring it all together. Mm, With the different strands. Yeah. Not as easy. Not as easy as the first one. This not as easy as the first one. 
Um, Do you want the hint? Do you want to know what Maths Gem it was from? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure it will help, but come on. Okay, Maths Gem 69. So it may help you kind of put it into context roughly of the year. Can I giggle at the number 69, first of all, like a student? Um, <laughs> um, no, no, I don't know. Okay, that's okay. Listeners at home may know that's Mr. Chadburn's resources. Now, do you remember these that that break it down? And they're brilliant because you have the complex multi-step GCSE question, but then he, he kind of gives you skill-based questions on each of the kind of main ones that help kind of the, the skills that you need to answer that particular question. Does that ring a bell now? Yes, that does ring a bell. I don't know why I've forgotten that. But this is the thing that's really good about Gems Post is that I, I forget things and then I think... And then I, now I rediscover that and I think, well, I could start using that in my teaching. Well, and actually, it's kind of, it worked. I think is I often see people on Twitter who it seems like they've discovered something. Like the, uh, there's a website with these, these things called Sol- Solve Me Mobiles. They're a really nice website. And I saw people making a big fuss about it a few months ago. They're like, wow, look at this amazing website. And I get annoyed when I see that because, like, if you read my gems post, you wouldn't just be discovering this because I've blogged about that a couple of times. Um, but then actually, you know, I forget my own gems. So I can't really blame people for, for sort of thinking they're seeing these things for the first time. Yes, I do remember that now. And yeah, that's brilliant. I don't know. I don't. The thing is, if I don't use them in my classroom straight away, because maybe I just don't need it at that particular time, then I do forget. And that's worrying. Yeah. <laughs> right. Are you ready for number three? Okay. No, I'm nervous now. <laughs> <laughs> so you got cocky early on. This is yeah, the problem. I did. But... Yeah, yeah. OK, so here we go. Beep is a new website that may be worth exploring. It aims to put numbers in context, promote numeracy, share number facts and develop number sense. You can enter a number and get some interesting comparisons. Oh, yeah, I think I know what that is. Is is it, um, I don't remember the name of the website, but it's, um, is that is this a big number or something? It's like ITABN or something like that. Am I am I on the right line here? Yes, you're absolutely yeah. right. Okay. You're so, yeah, absolutely yeah, that's, right. That's that they came. They were a Twitter account where they kind of followed everyone and said, "Hey, look at our website." And I did, and I thought actually, it. Like, we talked about this earlier about that idea of students really knowing numbers well. And yeah, that's a website that gives you. Is it, it gives you sort of ideas of magnitude, doesn't it? And it kind exactly of exactly right. Yeah. It compares it to like the population of different countries and the weight yeah. of things. It's yeah, it's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant site. You know what? There's there's two other related gems that I've shared over the years, and one of them is the um, oh, it's called like the scale of the universe something, and it's this amazing. I can't believe how good this is, and you you can zoom in and out on the entire universe, so you could go down to the very smallest things, and you could zoom out, and you're kind of in outer space, and it's and it's a standard form resource, and it's so interesting. And there's another one that's made by um, Nikon, the camera people, and you, again, you can just sort of scroll through things at different sizes, and it's all to do with magnitude. Um, and I love that because I think it's again it's enrichment really. You know, we don't spend a huge amount of time with our students. Well, I don't on. Um, on on this sort of numbers and magnitude and and there's this you know what's that i don't remember what the fact is but you know if you compare something like a million seconds to a billion seconds or something do you know what i'm talking about i don't think so no (laughs) (laughs) it's something like a million seconds is this long and a billion seconds is like a ridiculous amount of time and it, it just makes you realize how big a billion is and and we just have no sense of how big a billion is and it's so hard to get a sense of how big it is and I think this is stuff where it's fascinating and it just it's so kind of outside our curriculum in a way um that's such lovely stuff to explore with students 
Superb. Well, I reckon that makes you on four points so far, Joe, uh, which is a decent start. Okay, so uh, for number four coming up here, okay? This website is Pure Genius from Beep. Beep is a website dedicated to providing thought-provoking puzzles for maths teachers and students alike. There are no answers provided as there are many different way, correct ways of choosing Beep. What's that? Hold on. So it's puzzles and, and there's no answers because mm. there are many different ways of choosing. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I can think of loads of. Um, I, I mean, just for the benefit of the listeners, these are your words, Joe. I'm reading yeah, out. Yeah. You've you've written these words. You make me laugh when you read my words. This website is pure genius. <laughs> um, you know what? Actually, if you read if you read my gem, gems post from one up to a hundred, you notice that I over over the years I've put less personal views in there mm. because um, you know I used to say this is a great idea, this will work really well. And then over time, I've thought, well, I haven't tried it, so I can't say that. Yes. Um, so I've become much more cautious in wording that I use. And, and, I, and I, now I'm a bit more like, here's, here's the resource, rather <laughs> than me giving an opinion on it. Um, but that, that's been kind of a, per- that's been a decision because, again, there's this kind of, this ongoing criticism from people. People are so uh, quick to say, oh, Joe said something stupid there. So I'm so cautious of, um of not kind of giving an opinion that i'll later regret now i have no idea what this is you know this, this is really annoying i should be able to figure this out do you it's want me website... to give you a, do you want me to give you a math the, the math gem number <laughs> yeah yeah go on then. 27 right so this was early on 27 and it was a pure genius website with puzzles yeah. And, and as, I, a, as a bonus clue, um, Helen Williams actually picked this as one of her f- uh, big three um, in the in the previous episode. So it's what it's one that kind of goes across primary and secondary. No, I listened to Helen Williams and I can't even remember what her big three were. Um, something that goes across primary. No, because it can't be um, something that goes across primary and secondary. So I've got so enriched does, but that's not what you're talking about. And what could I can try to think what Helen would have said. Now I'm going to have to give up. Oh. Okay, so that one is the website. Which one doesn't belong? Oh, I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> well, sounds like you didn't actually. Oh, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. And actually, now I remember Helen saying that. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Because um, yeah, I, I've talked about them ages ago. <laughs> Mass Gems um, 27 in fact yeah. so yeah a, 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 a class yeah. and I'm a big big fan of that again it just it provokes discussion in a positive way I, I think it's a, a wonderful website if people haven't, yeah, haven't checked yeah. that out okay yeah. final one Joe so you, you sat on you sat on four <laughs> points here it would be a bit embarrassing to get under half marks so you could do it do get at least one out of this one okay, right. okay here we go beep has built an interactive tool to help students build numerical fluency. It is a simple beep game, which helps students develop an intuitive sense of the relative size of numbers. It's not compatible with mobiles yet, but work on would work on your interactive whiteboard. I love this. Have a play with it. I think you'll love it too. And follow Beep on Twitter because there's more to come from him. Oh my God, I don't know. Is that, um, ringing any, is that ringing any bells? Well, there's lots of interactive games that... I'll tell you what I'll do, Joe. Since it's your, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to read the first sentence again and I'm going to unbeep one of the words. Yeah, okay? that'll help, yeah. So Beep has built an interactive tool to help students build numerical fluency. It's a simple fraction game called Beep, ah. which helps students develop an intuitive sense of the relative size of numbers. 
Okay, so it could be slice the pie. It is slice the pie, uh-huh. Joe Morgan. It is, <laughs> and and all the and again, it's one of those. I remember using it visiting at the time, but I had a good play on it when I was putting this quiz together. It's absolutely oh, ideal. Yeah, and there's a few things like that because there's um. Do you remember there was like really really old school stuff like ban- banana hunt? Do you know? Do you know banana hunt? <laughs> I'm not aware of that one. What's that? That's that one. It's one where you have to. Um, it's about estimating angles, and so you know you have to. It says stop the. It's like a circle and the, and the, and the angle goes round and you have to stop it when it reaches a certain number of degrees. Mm. And then that's, it's called banana hunt because you win certain numbers of bananas, bizarrely. Um, but yeah, there's, I like those sorts of things where, um, they're simple little interactive things. You can have them on the whiteboard and, and you could, you could, if you let your students out of their seats, because it depends on behavior, um, they could come up and they could have a go and kind of everyone gets really into it and it gets really loud. Um, but those things are, that one in particular, um, is really, you know, I, I'm surprised by how much I enjoy doing it. Because if it says 1920th, so the way it works is it's a circle. And, it, and, and if it says you have to sort of stop, you have to basically select 1920ths of the circle. Then I suppose I kind of think, well, what's how big is 120th? Like, how much of that would it be? And, 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 and I think that's quite hard. And um, but but, you know, if it says three quarters, that's really easy. But if it's a 1920th, then I have to sort of think, well, how big is a 20th? And yes. I, I think I think it's um, like you say, I think it's I, I got I get really, I got really into it when I tried it. And then he came out with an updated version of that later um, where which was a bit easier to use on mobiles and stuff. Um, but um, I, I think I love it when just a teacher who's got a, 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 some programming skills just comes out with some fun little thing that you can use in your classroom. I think that's brilliant. Absolutely. Well, so well that unfortunately for you, Joe, concludes oh, the the maths gems quiz. Yeah, you enjoy good. that, yeah? Well, I thought I'd do better actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope listeners at home enjoyed that as well. Do tweet, get in touch if you want more of these fun quizzes throughout the podcast. I'm more than happy to <laughs> happy to drop them in. Anyway, Joe, uh, we turn now to um, it's a tricky one this, but it's your favourites. Um, I've asked you here to pick out your top five maths gems of all time and just tell us a little about, a bit about each one. And there'll be links to these as there will to your hidden maths gems and stuff um, in the podcast show notes. Now, how have you done this, Joe? Are, are you going to do like a build up, like five down to one? Have you ranked them or is it just kind of in any order? No, I've got just five that I love and it was the got hardest it. thing I've ever had to do. And <laughs> we did, you, you wouldn't believe it. I read, I read all 100 posts. To, to get wow. these and that's why I think I'm surprised I did so badly on the quiz because I've just spent <laughs> the last week reading all my posts but I kind of I guess I just skimmed over them a bit but the um because it, it's a lot to read I had to go through 500 gems wow. and it the, um, took over my week my workload's terrible like <laughs> trying to get through all this um, but yeah I've really enjoyed it because I've been like reminded of things so yeah I've picked five um a range I've decided to pick okay. five, five quite different things and the first thing is Everything from MathPad, and I know that I, I should be more specific than that, but basically I, I have a MathPad subscription and, and, I, and, and they do have some free stuff on there. It's, my website is all about free resources and the only um, thing that I promote that would cost someone money is MathPad because I think it's the best thing you can get that is a subscription site. I absolutely love it. Um, I love all their resources. They do have stuff for key stage three, four and five. And um, whenever they come out with something that's free, I will put it in a gems post. And annoyingly, um, I can't link to all their resources in my resource libraries because you have to have a subscription. But basically, some examples are um, 
they have they have some interactive stuff which I quite like using for demonstrations on the board um, particularly good for, for teachers that don't kind of use the GeoGebra well and stuff like that and these things are all pre-made so MathsPad have um, a tool for uh, doing transformations on the board it's got a really great little bit of tracing paper that you can just spin round and it's all interactive and it's really nice they have tangent drawing practice and I haven't seen anyone else with that so you know like when you do GCSE now and you have to find the gradient of a curve. Oh, yes, yes. And they have to draw a tangent. So MathPad just have this really simple little tool where they, there's a line and, sorry, there's a curve and the student just has to come up and click on, click on a couple of points and try and draw a tangent in the right place. And then it tells you the gradient of the line you've drawn and what the gradient would have been if you got the tangent right. Nice. In the right place. And it's just these little lovely interactive things that they come out with, which are really good um teaching tools and so things like you know the angles of a polygon you know the sort of classic animation where you can see the exterior angle summing to 360 where you yes. shrink a polygon and they have all that sort of stuff and it's all really really good quality basically everything MathPad do i consider to be very good quality um and like i say some of it is free um so it's worth looking at their free stuff and it's the one thing that i would be like please subscribe to it because the you know when i teach say key stage three it's pretty much all i use for resources like it's, I um, and it's it's pretty cheap as well right yeah oh yeah it's like for a score i can't remember what it is it's like 70 quid a year or something i don't know something something pretty cheap yeah um but you know and, and then they do individual um uh subscriptions as well but i just um they're 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 really they're really smart the people that write MathsPad, and you know i've met them both at conferences um it's worth following them on twitter um and and anything that they share I tend to put in my gems post just because I always think it's good and it's it's not because I'm I'm trying to make them money. I just think that everything they share is really, really good. So Super. Yeah. good yeah. choice. All right, that's number one then, and this is in no particular order. Uh, what yeah. are you going for, for for number two, your second well, choice? Well, we've already mentioned David Morse, but he is my um basically I I think I actually discovered Math for Everyone resources when I was doing reviews for the TES panel. Um, and you know, the way that works is that you send me the sort of 40 resources you want me to review. And I was lucky that I, I must have had a mass for everyone on there one month. And I thought, wow, I've, this, this is like a amazing resource because it's just so usable by teachers. It's exactly what teachers need for teaching certain topics. The layout is great, the quality is great. Um, and then he um, joined Twitter and um, and and so I now see his new resources when he shares them on there. But so I tweeted about them. Sorry, no, I blogged about them back in Gems 82. Um, and since then, it's just the collections getting bigger and bigger. Um, and I now I mean, I use, I'm now using these at GCSE more than anything else. Um, he has he has these uh, resources, which are packs of exam questions, but they are not past exam questions. You know, he's written the questions himself. And they're just very nicely formatted and very high quality. So lately I've been running at one school I'm at, I run an intervention for a top set year 11. So, for example, the other day I did an intervention on um, similar triangles and I did some teaching on that because I think intervention should involve teaching. And then I handed out maths for everyone set of similarity exam questions, which were a really good level of challenge questions students hadn't seen before. Really nice sort of professional looking format. Um, so I'm using tons of that stuff at the moment. Excellent choice. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> Excellent choice. And I was the same. I discovered them just randomly doing kind of test resource reviews. And mm. I like it 
for the same reason as you i like the layout the consistency i like the fact answers are provided mm. and i also like the fact that it's it, it covers so many different topics as well which means that once kids get familiar with with the layout and what you expect of them and so on you can do it for fractions you can do it for percentages solving linear equations and so on and so forth so yeah it's it's an absolute godsend that i thought yeah wonderful i'm pleased you please you mentioned that joe um all right what about number three Right, number three, I've put something in just because it's a happy memory for me. So I have put um, the uh, game is this prime.com slash game, which is a so is this prime.com is a website made by um, Christian Lawson Perfect, who is a mathematician. I met him for the first time at the Maths Jam um, conference um, last month, and he made this website is this prime where you basically go and you type in a prime number and it says whether or not, sorry, you type in any number and it tells you whether or not it's prime. Yes. Um, but then if you go to the game that's attached to that website, it basically gives you a quick fire round where it will, it will give you 60 seconds to say yes or no, is this number prime? So it might come up and say is 27 prime. And all you have to do is click yes or no. Um, now, not necessarily something we'd use in our teaching. I've used it before. We've used it before um, an open evening where we had students have a go at this game on an interactive whiteboard. Um, but actually, this is just a nice memory for me because um, when I discovered this, I, um, I, I came into work and this is when I was working at my last school, Glynn. We had a fantastic team of math teachers there, such fun people. And I came in and I said, look, there's this, this prime game. Let's see how we all do. And we basically in the office, because I was working with some really competitive guys at the time. And in the office, we all had a go at this. And then my colleague, Greg, who now works in the Middle East, he um, he just wanted to win he wanted to be the best and he went off and practiced absolutely tons and then he came into work and just did this amazing performance where he got a ridiculous number right um, and I was like nowhere near what he was getting but he just he was so happy with how well he was doing on this prime game um, and it's funny because you know sometimes there's, there was a, I kept getting the same numbers wrong every time so there were certain <laughs> numbers that I just cannot remember if they're prime or not I mean I think 87 is a good one because 87 divides by three, doesn't it? Yes, uh, yes. yes. So, but, but I'm always saying that 87 is prime. Like, yes. I, just, I don't know why I keep saying yes to that one. But um, anyway, it, so this is not something to, to use necessarily in teaching, but it was just great fun in the office. And I think the thing is that um, I, I've been to lots, of, like I said, I've been to lots of Paris schools lately. And what's really interesting is that some of them have a maths office where the whole team can sit together and plan together and chat about their lessons. And some schools that I'm in don't have a, a maths office at all. So everyone plans on their own in their classroom at the end of the day. And I think that's really a shame because a good maths office with a uh, with a team that works together well and gets on well is, is just a fantastic place to have fun with things like this and to come out a lesson and let off steam about what happened and to talk about things that went well and things that didn't. And all these wonderful things happen in a maths office. And I think it's a real shame when a school doesn't have that kind of working environment where, where people can't all go and get together and play silly games and, and plan their lessons together and share resources. So, you know, it, it's um, and I think I do things like that in my gem sometimes i put in things that i don't really think people will use in lessons but i think it's just a nice thing for a maths teacher to know about so if anyone wants to have fun at work um is this prime.com slash game is just great for maths teachers to have a go at 
That's lo- lovely, that, <laughs> lovely that, Joe. And it also, it's um, we mentioned Mark McCourt a couple of times, which is annoying already on this podcast. But he um, he's always of the belief that maths teachers should do maths. Like he always oh, says, yeah. English teachers read books, geography teachers go on walks up hills, immerse themselves in the subject. Maths teachers should do maths. And all right, this isn't sat, sitting down doing like a complex equation or anything like that, but it's colleagues who have a passion for their subject, having fun doing their subject outside of the lesson. And that can only be a healthy thing so absolutely yeah and I loved working at that school I absolutely loved it and one thing that we did loads was we would um we would all get stuck into math problems and sometimes it would be a problem that would say on a resource we're going to use for students and we couldn't figure it out and we'd all sit around and try and work it out together and then sometimes um you know we'd sit around and do some uh some Pythagorean triple proofs and just just have fun with it but you know I think if you've got particularly if you've got a whiteboard in the wall in the office and everyone just everyone get stuck into that it's really good but um god my workload was bad there like because we just need to chat and have fun with maths all day in the office and and talk about our lessons and and then and then i'd, I'd have to go home and plan an evening <laughs> so, you know, that that is it, it's a bit um it's it's a you know it's got pros and cons having a, a sort of math department that does lots of these things together because yes. you know we have got busy workloads and it and it um you know, it was ridiculous there where we'd have really, really good laugh during the day and we'd all be doing all this maths together and then we'd be like, well, now I haven't done any work all day. But, yeah. <laughs> There's a balance. There's definitely a balance. OK, yeah. Joe, we've had three. Uh, what about what would be your fourth choice then? Right now, you know, earlier we were talking about having um, giving students things to help them remember. Um, and I think that this idea of having something to hook a, a memory on kind of helps or, or to have something to 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 make this might be a cognitive load thing so you know if you it's like knowing your times tables fluently and you know when you see students who struggle to simplify a fraction because they don't know their times tables fluently, yes. uh, fluently and then later on when they're factorizing quadratics and I, to try and factorize a quadratic without knowing your times tables is just it's ridiculously slow um you know and, and we, we know that yes there are ways of reasoning to get the answers of times table problems but just knowing them helps and I think this is something that, that, again, people might not like this, but um, on um, on Twitter, this guy at Dr. Ali Maths, we were talking about C4 integration. Now, in C4 and um, the old A-level module, you had to know how to integrate sine and cos. And for teachers who so for listeners who don't know how this works, when you integrate sine, when you integrate sine X with respect to X, you get um, cos, yeah, positive cos. Plus C, Joe. Plus C. C. I was about to say that. I would love. <laughs> and then when you integrate cos, you get. Um, no, I'm getting this wrong. See, I'm always you... getting this wrong. When you integrate <laughs> sine x, you get negative cos. Yeah, that's, that's it. right. That's, that's it. it. Yes. And when you integrate cos x, you get um, sine. Now, the reason I just got that wrong is because I did not use my little memory hook that I'm about to tell you about. <laughs> so the thing is, so yeah, you have to basically know which is which. You have to know that. Um, one of them gives a negative answer and one gives a positive answer and it's the reverse of differentiation. It just gets a bit like you, you just have to stop and think about it for a minute. The thing is, if you're doing a really complex integration problem where you're having to integrate by parts, or you're doing some kind of um, you're doing some kind of really complicated problem or even if you're doing something like integrating sine squared X, which is yes. not straightforward, then you you just want to know which one's a negative one and which one's a positive one. You don't want to have to think about it. You just want to know. Now, he said that he gives his students these two things and he says Sine integrates to cos, and the first letters of those words, sine integrates cos, uh, S-I-C. Yeah, so sick. 
And then he's saying sick is a bad thing. When no one wants to be sick, it's a negative thing. Yeah. So sign integrates a cause. Ah, yes. Sick, okay, yep. negative. Okay. Now, when I teach this, I make a big thing about it. Now, so I, the problem is students sometimes use the word sick to mean something good, don't they? So, that's <laughs> that's <true>. they <laughs> so anyway, so I say, look, sick is a bad thing. No one wants to be sick. It's negative. So let's all remember that sick is negative. And then cause integrates to sign kiss kisses are a good thing and then they all laugh they all think it's hilarious that i'm talking about kissing in a math lesson but the point is that if they can just remember sick negative kiss positive then straight away you can do these integrations without any thought it basically removes it removes the need for you to have to think about which one's negative which one's positive and and when he first told me that i thought it was silly and my students wouldn't like it i went and showed them but the, the thing was i realized that I used it on the board when I was modeling, I would say, right, I'm integrating sign, and in my head I'd say negative because it's sick. And yes. it's that I started using it straight away. And I think that if, as a teacher, you're using something when you're doing maths, then your students should be allowed to use it too, or they should, they will find it useful too. Um, and, you know, we, we use these things when, we use things when we, when we do maths, that some people say are shortcuts and I would say no they're part of doing maths efficiently and there's no harm in in having our letting our students know about them too so I think that you know from then on I always think sick negative kiss positive and I know that when I integrate cause I will get a positive answer that's lovely I like that so that's that really, was, really yeah and then like I say I like to put little A-level things in there but that's one that genuinely made a difference to my A-level teaching it's such a silly little thing but it just took away that need to think about you know it, it just automates things which is I, I, I like that and again it taps into like you say the, the kind of cognitive load and the, the problem that kids have when they're trying to solve problems but the basics aren't in place yeah. and also the point I think I, I heard Danny Quinn kind of raise it first that kids should be able to access the kind of tricks that, that we yeah. use to, to help. Yeah. And it's, it's a dodgy one, isn't it? Because you want them to have the understanding as well. But if you can, you can teach them the understanding, you can get them to the, to the point where they understand why the trick works and then access the trick. It's kind of, it, it seems fine to me. So I, I, yeah, I'm, with I mean, you, I'm with you a, there. A good example of that is, is something like standard form. I mean, if I'm converting a number from standard form into an ordinary number or vice versa, I'm afraid that... I am moving that decimal point. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and, and, correct. And then, and then it's ridiculous for me to say, it's like, I mean, I think it was in Danny's post, Holier Than Now, where she talked about how, oh, it's good enough for us, but they're not allowed to do it. And, you know, I, I totally agree with what Danny says, that if it's, and I, what's interesting is I, like, say you want to factorise um, x squared minus 9. Like, we use a difference, we know it's a difference of two squares, and we know it's x plus 3, x minus 3. Um, and that, to me, is not a shortcut or a trick. But there are some teachers who will insist that students write x squared plus 0x minus 9 and then use the sort of standard way of factorising where you need two numbers that multiply to give negative 9 and two numbers that add to give yes. 0. Um, but I would argue that if they do this by memorising that that's different to two squares, then why aren't they letting their students do that as well? Um, and I think, I think there's a really big discussion to be had around that. Like if there are things that the teacher does um, to save time or to make things more efficient, then why hold them back from the student? Um, and I know there's lots of people who are really, um, you know, anti-tricks, they call them. But I think there's a fine line between a trick and a method. Um, I agree. Uh, yeah, it's a complicated one. It is. No, it's superb. All right, Joe, um, one more to go. What are you going to go for your final choice? Right, so I'm going for something that was in my very first GEMS post. 
Um, and I'm doing that because I think this is, I think this might be the reason I started the gems. You know, Bruno said, um, that I've been tweeting gems and I thought that's a great idea. I could use these as posts to put sort of things that don't deserve a whole post themselves, but I just want to tell people about. And this was really nice. So Colin Beveridge tweeted, um, tweeted me to tell me to share a link to a story called My Favourite Liar. Um, and I read the story and just thought it was such a clever teaching technique. And I don't know if I'd ever actually use this. It's just a really, really lovely thing. So I'll tell you about this. I think this was an economics teacher at a university or something. So this was nothing to do with maths. And what he did was, as lecturer, in the very first lecture of the year, he told his students that he was going to tell one lie per lesson. So every single lecture, he would say one thing that just was not true. And he wanted them to figure out what it was. So at the beginning of the year, in his early lectures, he would say something that was so obviously not true that straight away all their hands would shoot up and they would say, sir, that was the lie. That's the thing that you that, that your one lie of the lesson. And then yes. he, he would say, um, well, well done, you got, you got me. Let's move on. Um, and, and that's that's easy to do. You could say something in the middle of a lesson that's just nonsense and, you're, and, and, you, and they're paying attention. So they notice it. So he said it was a brilliant technique to focus their attention. And um, so it was an open invite for students to challenge him. Um, and and it was getting them to constantly kind of check or think about what he was saying. Think, is that the, tr the true or not? And so anyway, as the year progressed, the, the, the lie got harder to spot. <laughs> to the point where the students would get to the end of the lecture and, and maybe hadn't spotted it and would then go off and, and look things up and, and, and talk about it. So they'd leave the lecture and they'd all be in deep conversation. What was the lie? What was the thing he said that wasn't right? And then they might go off and read up on it. So it's like this amazing teaching technique where they're really paying attention and they're desperate to spot this thing he says that isn't quite true and he, um, that isn't true. And he makes he makes it so subtle that they're that they're having to go off and talk about it and it's really engaging and i think if i remember rightly the story ends where he does a lecture where everything he says was correct and then it turns out that the very first lecture of the year where he said every lecture will have a lie that was a lie not every oh and there's <laughs> the payoff yes i like it i, mean, I like and it have you used this, Joe? Have you tried no, this? No, I haven't. And the thing is that I remember when I wrote about it, I then said that there was a teacher who said he was going to use it. And I never checked back to see whether he did use it. And I don't even know if this is something that would work at all. I mean, you could use it in a maths lesson because you could say things in the middle of a lesson on multiplication. You could say multiplication always makes things bigger. And then you sort of hope that someone is going to challenge mm. that. And I think it's actually something that, that could work. Although... I don't know if I'd be happy saying things that aren't true in the middle of a maths lesson. I, I don't know. But I just think that, um, again, it's something where this this is maybe something that no one's ever going to do in a maths lesson. It's just a really nice story about a te teaching technique. Um, and, and I and it's just something that I've, I always sort of read that story and think, what what a nice story. And it's told from the point of view of one of his students who remembers him as like the best lecturer he ever had. So I just oh. like it. And I want, and I, I, I sort of think people that didn't read my my gems right from the start won't have heard that, uh, read that. And I, I really recommend reading the whole story from the beginning. The links in my first gems post, just because it's, um, it's just a a great example of how in classrooms and lecture theatres and all these things all over the country, 
people are trying really interesting things and teachers sometimes don't share those things widely um, and it's a shame because people have really original ideas of how to get their students to learn um, and you know it's, it's good to share those things absolutely well what a lovely one to end with there joe i love that okay right well now it's it's time just to, for a few final reflections so my first question i just wanted to ask you was have you noticed any changes in the types of math resources being produced and shared since you started the gems and, and the reason i ask this is because certainly in the time that i've been kind of tes maths resource advisor i've certainly noticed um a change in the types of types of resources being produced i don't know whether it's because we're perhaps a more, and this is, I'll get, I'll get slated for this, but perhaps we're a more research-informed profession now. There's a bit more interest in, in, in cognitive science and so on, and perhaps that's making certain resources that used to be popular not quite as popular. I don't know, but I just wonder from your perspective, Joe, in the time you've been doing the GEMS, have you noticed any kind of trends, any changes at all? Um, I, I think I'd agree with you. Maybe things have got a bit more serious and sciencey and a bit less gimmicky in some areas, but bear in mind that um i a lot of the stuff i see is on twitter and 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 we kind of it's a bit of an echo chamber isn't it and we all kind of yes. move, move in the same direction to some extent whereas i think on tes and i find it interesting when i when i do my tes reviews I increasingly i increasingly i find a lot of resources that i don't like because those because the people making those resources kind of aren't going in the direction that i'm going in so it's interesting because i do think that if I was to talk about stuff shared on Twitter, I'd say, yes, there has been a change. There's certainly, um, you know, a big move towards um, reducing cognitive load and, and the variation theory and the kind of people are things being done in more depth and, and people sort of not being, you know, it's interesting. If you just look at my own um, my own lesson, it's so funny because one of my most read blog posts of all time was one about teaching indices. And in it, I share a lesson that I use for an interview lesson. And it's and I said, oh, it's such a good lesson. Um, and it's a lesson where I taught like all index laws in one lesson. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's funny because now I do my topics in depth sessions and I say, that's awful. I can't believe I did yes. that. But still now people are re and I should really take I mean, if I took down all my rubbish posts, I wouldn't have anything left of my blog. <laughs> There's all this stuff that I just don't do anymore. But um, yeah, I do think I do think things are changing. But also from another perspective, there was a big focus on the new GCSE when I first started blogging because it was mm. on its way in. And then we had a few years of, you know, needing resources for that new GCSE, revision resources and ways of teaching new topics. And that was that was something that was coming up a lot. And now we've settled a bit on that. You know, we've got a decent amount of resources for the new topics and for revision. And, you know, there's lots of practice papers around and all those things that teachers really needed. That's settled down. And now... To a lesser extent, there's a big focus on the new A-level. Now, there's, there's far fewer A-level teachers in this country, which means that there's not, uh, there's, not, there's not as many resources being shared and there's not as much demand. But, um, you know, the new A-level, we're, we're in trouble a bit with them, particularly for practice papers and stuff like that. I mean, at the moment, I'm seeing a lot of people on Twitter saying, I have nothing to give my further maths class to prepare them for this assessment. Um, and, and, you know, that's a big problem. So I think lately um, I've been sharing a, a fair amount of stuff, although not enough, for um, the new A-level. So it's interesting because after that's settled down, you know, is there going to be any more curriculum change? And if so, that will come with a whole load of stuff that comes with it. 
um, hopefully not. Hopefully we'll have a period of no curriculum change <laughs> where we can just focus on, you know, improving our teaching and not having to constantly be, you know, figuring out what we have to be teaching. That, that would be that would be good. Fing, fingers crossed. And I think the, the thing there, Joe, is um, that, that's important to say there is it was and I, I'm not saying this to suck up to you, but it was people like you and also Mel from Just Maths who kind of led the way in guiding teachers through that ridiculous period of uncertainty into, in the build up to the new spec GCSE because no one had a flipping clue what was going on. And it was kind of collating the best resources that were out there in a way that was accessible to teachers. So we weren't just left in the dark. So, yeah, like, thank God that the gems did kind of start and you you kind of started to come to prominence around that time because that was probably the time it was it was most needed so that was um that was good news and um, final final couple of questions for you joe and um, do you have any advice at all for people um who are kind of budding resource writers because it's become a bit of a status thing to try and get included on a maths gem these days I know jo- <laughs> jo- jonathan hall's obsessed with it he's always banging on about he's it. on it all the time <laughs> so um, if anybody not necessarily to get on a maths gem but just wanted to 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 write a good resource are there any guidelines any advice any rules or anything or is it or is it just kind of subjective well i think um you know there's because there's all different types of resources it's like you said earlier you can't you can't kind of say there's a one size fits all because there's all different there's all different things that are being produced that look different but every time i do my uh tes reviews i i i I see things that i personally don't like and i have a number of times written a blog post what not to do if you're writing a resource and then I've not published it because I don't want to insult anyone yes, <laughs> but yes. um, there are a few things like I mean there's some simple things like you know I people who who write things in smart notebook and then put it on test you know I can't open that I, yeah. I don't have smart on my computer at home and um some schools don't use that technology and also you know some people put things in publisher and again I don't have um Microsoft publisher on my home computer and you just think and also some people use like fancy fonts that when you download it you, you if you haven't got that font on your computer then it just sort of comes out looking really rubbish so yes. I'd say that if you're gonna if you're going to do something like that, provide a PDF as well as the editable version, because it's great to provide an edi- editable version of something so that people can make tweaks to it. But, you know, if it's something that's not going to download well, like something you've made in Publisher, then then put it in as a PDF as well. And then everyone can download it. So that's like a really simple thing to do. Whenever I put a resource on Tez, you know, I'm not a big resource maker, but I put a few things on there and I'll always do the editable one like in Word or PowerPoint. And then just in case the font comes out messed up on someone's computer and they think I can't make a resource, I put the PDF on there as well. Um, Good advice. So and then I've got a little list. I've got about six things here, I'm afraid. So um, (laughs) cluttered slides is, is something that has annoyed me for a long time because I don't. I mean, I've always had white backgrounds to my slides. Now, first of all, there are people that like, oh, don't use PowerPoint. I have, I, I use PowerPoint because I, I, I drop a diagram into my PowerPoint that there's no way I'm drawing on the whiteboard because it yes. would take forever. And it just makes sense to me to have, whether it's PowerPoint or whatever, it makes sense to me to prepare some kind of slides in advance that will just, you know, make that, that pace work. I remember when I was at school and the, the teacher used to get his, his meter ruler out and draw a diagram in chalk on the blackboard and it would take forever and we don't have to do that anymore because we can press a button and up on the board we've got the, the the circle theorem or whatever and we can just annotate directly onto it so I'm I'm totally on board with slides but you know I don't want all these all this clutter and the color and the you know you get like all the the keywords and the logo and the and the date and like all these things on the slide it's like they just need to be stripped away and that you know let's just have sort of simpler slides and I think I'm starting to see that more 
But, you know, I just I can't I, I, I don't like these resources that are really, really overloaded with stuff that's not necessary. Yes. Um, because the problem is people download, uh, download them and then they remove those things. And it's just hundreds of teachers having this little bit of workload of like, you know, having to remove, say, a school logo. It's like if you're going to share something on test, just take a school logo off first. And then, then, no, then no one else has to do that. I'm not going to use a resource in my classroom that's got another school's logo on it. <laughs> um, and it's all right. If it, if, it says, if it says at the bottom, mass for everyone, that's fine. But I don't want, you know, there's, there's I, I'm all up for giving credit to people that have made things. But I don't want to use a resource in my lesson that, that says it's from, you know, St. St. Beads or something. You know, I just don't want yes. to. So, um, and that just takes a second to do. So it's just about sort of thinking about a resource before to make it shareable. It'd be nice to remove all that stuff. Um, you know, I remember, you know, the Tentix worksheets, you know, like oh, yeah, yeah, been around yeah. forever. And when I worked um, in my first job at the grammar school, we pretty much just used um, textbooks and Tentix. And that was kind of all the resources we used. And I the Tentix worksheets always had sort of stupid little pictures on. And I, and I thought and I thought my students will find them patronizing. So, you know, what? I used to this is ridiculous. I used to tipex them out and then photocopy the worksheet without the stupid little picture on. So there, there was me as an NQT tipexing out these pictures because I thought that picture is ridiculous and it's patronising. I don't want it on my worksheet. And like that's that is that was stupid of me. I don't know what I was doing there. But I just think you know if 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 we can minimise unnecessary things, I think that that's great. And I, I kind of I can see why they put little pictures on because they think it's engaging. But I, I know I'm not a fan. Um, other things, um, uh, no resource shouldn't need colour. You know, no, we can't print in colour, so a resource shouldn't need colour. No one has got the budget to print in colour. Um, things should be, you know, it's great if you're sharing things that don't need lots of instructions. It's great if you provide answers. Um, you know, all these little things that, that just make teachers' lives easier. Like these are the things that make a resource good, you know, instantly able to use with answers provided, you know, easy to print, that kind of thing. Um, these are the sorts of things I like. But I would say, you know, um, I, there, there's lots of wonderful resources out there. And and um, and perhaps I'm, you know, there are, there are things I don't like personally, but but it's, that's just me. But um, but, you know, generally, I, the majority of things that are shared are just brilliant. And I'm so grateful to people that share things because I think it's really sad when someone makes a really good resource and then it never sees it never gets into any other classroom in the world so i'm yeah. massively I, appreciative of anyone that puts stuff on tez or shares stuff on twitter it's so important as a profession we just have to do it um if we don't do it we're just it's ridiculous it's just a terrible thing for the profession if we don't collaborate and again it's it's i think sometimes as teachers we can we can fail to appreciate just how special our profession is because you don't get this mm. anywhere else you, you don't get lawyers sharing oh, you yeah. know, resources for free or yeah. even like doctors sharing resources yeah. for free like it's just the norm in teaching and it's too easy to take that for for, for granted so yeah I, but i think that's at the same time i think that's very true joe the, those t none of those things that you've suggested there are going to require a budding resource writer to to up their workload or do anything significantly different it's just tiny tweaks that'll just That's save what, what the in cumulative terms thousands of hours for the teachers who are potentially going to use them so the, i think that's the, that. fun, the funny thing about the collaboration is that we're kind of we are in competition with each other in a way and i hate that mm, yes no you know, you're right the, the way that exam results work is that you know if my school does well then then you know there, there's like a uh 
if, if another school does well, that's bad for my students because, you know, there's that whole bell curve or whatever yes. it is, however they work out the, the grading. Um, and, and, that, and we just have to sort of pretend that, that we don't know that, you know, because otherwise we're just, you know, it would be awful. You know, if you if you um, if, if every school said, well, I'm in comp- I'm in competition with on results with all the other schools. So I'm never going to talk to those schools and I'm not going to collaborate. I suppose that is probably in a way a sensible thing to do because they are in competition but it would just be like the worst profession it would just be just horrible because we we want to help every student don't we but it's just so frustrating that we can make the whole country better at maths we can make every student in this country better at maths and still the same amount would fail at GCSE and that's yeah that really sucks like that is just a horrible place to be you're right. And I think just just going back to that kind of collaboration and stuff, what, what I've started saying to people now, particularly in terms of the SSDD and the variation, my kind of and diagnostic questions, my kind of collaborative websites is I say, look, I do not expect you the first time you've seen this to go and write 10 diagnostic questions or send me a variation theory a sequence of questions but if you use this website over the course of the next three months and maybe you've used 10 resources and they've gone down well in your classroom um, and you get used to how it works and so on and you have an idea mm-hmm. perhaps that's the time then to kind of give a little bit back yeah because the, there is the danger isn't there and again that people won't like me saying this but um, I forget the actual percentage on Tez but it's something along the lines of I'll be a little bit out here but I think it's something like 0.1% of TES users share resources and the rest just kind of take, which is, again, it's kind of understandable, but there's two reasons why that's potentially not a good thing one is like a kind of community thing that it's it's bad if just if just a few people are creating and everyone else is taking, but also there's. And you'll know this yourself, Joe, as as a resource writer yourself, that you learn so much by writing resources, like trying to structure them, trying to put them together in a way that will make sense for your kids, but also make sense for other teachers who use them. There's something really, really powerful, pedagogically powerful about writing a resource and sharing it with a colleague. And then the colleague gives you feedback and you tweak it and you try it with your kids and you tweak it. It's a really important part of being a teacher. I think this this putting together things and people say um, you know there's no point reinventing the wheel Mm -hmm. but to a certain extent you've got to you've got to try yourself to put things together because you just learn so much learn so much from the process I I don't know if you'd agree with that at all yeah I mean I mean there's a big workload issue isn't there and I sort of Of I wouldn't I would never want teachers to feel that they're letting the profession down by not spending ages making resources oh, of course just, yeah of course. We, we certainly don't have time for that but you're you're right that there is something you know when i was talking about that a-level work group that i was involved in the other day and the kind of gap task we set that they have to go off and have a go at was simply to think about whether they could come up with a set of example problem pairs for teaching particular topics so say they're teaching implicit differentiation can they think of some really sensible questions to ask um, that would be a sensible or, and a sensible order to ask those questions in. But then the point is that if they're going to go and do that and they're going to try them with their students, then we'll come back and discuss whether they went well and whether that was a sensible order. Um, and then, you know, if they were, then let's share them and let's make sure that other teachers can use them and not have to reinvent the wheel. So I think, um, yeah, there's a kind of you're, you're right. There's you can you can learn a lot from trying to think of a good way of of, of teaching something and, and coming up with with a set of questions and then 
talking to other teachers about how it went and then refining it but then eventually you know yeah do share it so someone else doesn't have to do all that work again um and and yeah it's good for everyone's development to sort of to sort of have a play around with things themselves and i know that you talk a lot on the podcast lately about um scripted lessons but but you know yes you you learn a lot from creating your own lesson um in a way um which is one of the sort of arguments against scripted lessons you know deciding how best to communicate things is is sort of is is insightful and 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 trying it and then thinking well that didn't go very well i'm going to try it a different way with another class like that's how we develop our subject knowledge and that's how we develop our pedagogy um so yeah there's a lot to be said for that yeah absolutely um final question for you joe here before i just ask you what's kind of coming up for you in the future and this is kind of aside from maths gems um obviously like we've spoken a lot over the the last few years first on the podcast and also in terms of conference takeaways but i don't think i've ever asked you this question um, and it's one of my favorites that i've started asking guests recently and that's have you changed your mind about anything important since either our last podcast interview or, or when we spoke previously have you changed your mind about anything important joe um well let's see i i think um since my sort of the podcast i did a couple of years ago like i like i said earlier i I kind of focused on some i'm trying to sort of figure out i can't do everything in math education you know i'm kind of i really i really um want to be involved in in the kind of math education community and i kind of want to 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 be an expert on all sorts of things but you know you can't be an expert on everything so i'm kind of trying to narrow down my the areas of interest the things that i do so my this project that i'm working on this topics in depth project which is very very slow progress but um it's basically about me saying let's let's take a a topic and actually spend some time properly thinking about how to teach that topic in a lot of depth and go and go into real detail on it and, and really understand that topic inside out so it's kind of subject knowledge stuff but also how to teach things um and i think i think that's the work i've done on that has totally changed my approach to teaching everything, even the things that I haven't yet sort of done that research on. Um, so last week I, I did these lessons on angles and parallel lines with Year 11, and I and and I they were nothing like I used to teach that. They were just totally different lessons to how I would have taught them just two years ago. Um, so I, I guess my my te- I guess I think I am influenced by a lot of stuff that I see and I read and when I listen to your podcast. Um, and you know I use. I use lots of examples, non-examples, which is something I never used to do. Um, I I thought about kind of breaking breaking the the, the concepts down and, and dealing with one thing at a time. Um, I um, I used lots of narrative. I had a lot of confidence in everything I said in the in the vocabulary I used and the, the language I used. I used a lot of dynamic uh, sort of gifts to sort of uh, demonstrate things. And all of it, all together, was absolutely nothing like how I have ever taught this topic before and it just felt really good like I, like I'm using all the stuff that I've sort of um thought developed over the years and I guess my teaching is changing um and it's just I guess a really slow pro- process though so it's changing very slowly you know it's, it's been um last year I was head of maths and I had zero time to plan my lessons like just it, it was awful I had um it was a, it was a great opportunity head of maths and I learned a lot from it but in that year, I basically didn't plan a lesson. I just used previous year's lessons. I literally just delivered yes. exactly the PowerPoint I used the year before with the exact same resource. Um, so my teaching didn't develop at all during that time. Um, but 
this year, when I, I'm actually not doing a huge amount of teaching and I get more time to plan the lessons I do deliver, um, my lessons are looking totally different to how they've looked before. Um, and that's just, yeah, again, based on, I guess, everything that I have put a lot of thought into over over recent years. I mean, my a good example was multiple choice quizzing, where you know I never used to, I never thought of doing it at all. And then, and and in, and in February 2015, I wrote in a gems post that I'd done it for the first time. And now that's that's totally ingrained in my practice. But you know, it's you know, I try things and I reflect on them. And then I change them and I try them again and, and and eventually they become something that to me is like essential in my teaching. But, Fantastic. Yeah. So yeah, Super. I, I have changed, yes. And I, and I, def, I wouldn't say there's anything, I can't think of anything specific I've changed my mind on in that I strongly believe something and I don't believe it anymore, but I certainly have changed my practice quite a lot. Well, again, it's just fascinating to hear how teachers evolve, especially experienced teachers and stuff, Joe. And as I say, I'm particularly looking forward. We've, we've locked it in now for you returning, <laughs> returning to the podcast at the end of the academic year to tell us about some of those key lessons that you've learned. And, and perhaps, again, what you might even have changed your mind about from, from now and to six months down the line, because who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? But to, to wrap things up, Joe, um, just again just what have you got coming up so first thing i'm assuming the maths gems posts are continuing right i mean that would be a downer to put on the end of this fucking podcast if if, if the hundred was it was a hundred and out so i'm assuming they're continuing and just tell us have you got anything else coming up well yeah i mean the gems posts are really hard work they're a lot more work than all my um some of my other posts because um they i have to do all the pictures and the links and, and they take a while I you know I, I have I've gone back full time this year. So I, I was working because well, I've got young children. I've been working four days a week for, for a few years and I now work five days a week. And, and, I, and I have so many um, unbelievable amounts of, of plates that I spin. Like I have I have so I've got the two young kids and you wouldn't believe. I mean, you, you'll you'll discover this when they start school. You, you basically I get about five emails a day that I have to action from their school like it's unbelievable the amount of stuff that, that I have to do and it's all it's all lovely and I can't complain about it but you know the amount of the amount of things that you do when your when your kids start school uh, it is it, I didn't realize all that would come and then at the same time I, I, I do the charity work for the MA which really means a lot to me and I do um and I've got my blog and I'm trying to do the regular gems post I try and keep them regular and then I have um lots of uh, I get asked to present a lot of things and when I do a presentation it god it takes me a long time to write <laughs> it's crazy um and I get a lot of I get asked to do a lot of things that I say no to which is really frustrating but I just can't be away from home all the time because of my kids so you know, I, 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 it's frustrating because I want to kind of do everything and I have to say no to lots of things. Um, but certainly, I suppose the most important thing to me is is my my blog means the world to me. Like it is my it's my hobby, but it's also like become such a big part of my life. So, yeah, absolutely not going to stop doing the gems posts. I will keep doing them. But, you know, it's um, increasingly hard to to make the time to blog regularly um so it's something that's kind of really important to me and I, I, I kind of struggle with it but but it's just to me it's it's just a big part of my life um the other thing that I've got coming up which I'm quite excited about I did tweet recently that I had a project a top secret project so I, is this a world world exclusive <laughs> that's coming here Jeff? it is yeah I'll tell you I'm excited to talk about this because it's been I don't know maybe a month now that I've been sort of uh, keeping quiet and, and the thing is that, so, I mean, I've been asked, I've been asked a couple of times if I'd want to write a book and, and I have got ideas for some books where I have to basically, I think, not work to have time to write them. You know, I'd love to write something about old textbooks. You know, I, my husband suggested I wrote, I wrote a book sort of like, 
um, which we had a hun- say a hundred exercises in, um, but each from different topics, but each one from a from an old textbook, the, the, oh, the nice. best the best I could find from the last three hundred years on that topic. It's like that's a great. I don't even know about copyright issues and stuff, then whether you can just use these things. So that I'd love to do that. And then the other idea for a book I, I had was to write a book for teachers on methods. So, for example, um, if you're going to uh, uh, solve a, or find the nth term of a quadratic sequence, I mean, there are two or three ways of doing that. And I would write a book which just said, here are the here are the different ways of doing it. Or like for highest common factor, here are the 10 different ways you can find a highest common factor. Um, and I'd love to do a book on that. But again, I'd have to basically not have a job. Like I, It would be a full-time job writing a book like that. I just don't, or, or I'd have to, spend all my life doing it so these are things I don't have time to do however um, I am working on a book but not for teachers so I'm working on something that's going to be um, sold to students GCSE students um, and it's kind of a revision book but it's very very different to anything else that's available um, so the idea is and hopefully this will be out in time for this year's um, GCSE exams for students to prepare um, and the idea is that um, well, when I I think a good way to learn facts, so um, a good way of learning a, a sort of body of knowledge is to is to quiz yourself. So, you know, to to have a, a load of facts written down and then to create uh, uh, quizzes where you have to fill in the answers and to c- repeat those quizzes until you're getting all those questions right every time. Now, it's the way I revised for my degree. I remember I made myself a load of quizzes. Um, and I think it's a really effective way to learn lots of facts. So self-quizzing and, and doing it again and again until you get it all right. And the book that I'm working on, this is very exciting. I have a book deal. Um, the book <laughs> that I'm working on is going to be um, basically a, a a perforated, so a, a, a spiral bound book. So imagine kind of looking a bit like a pucker pad, you know, those kind of pads that are spiral bound. And when you open up one of those pads, they have perforated pages. And it's going to kind of have that kind of filter where the pages are perforated because it's full of tear out quizzes that students can do to test themselves on the facts they need to learn for their GCSE. So the student will buy this book and then they will um, and it will have a number of quizzes in it and they will complete the first quiz and chuck it away and then complete the same quiz again. And they will keep doing that quiz till they're getting all those questions right every time. So they're basically learning all those key facts because maths is people think it's very skills based and it's very creative and all that. But there is there are a large number of facts that students need to memorize to, to do well in their GCSE. So they're going to and it's going to be just full of these tear out quizzes that students do. Um, I'm really excited about it. Like I have an image in my head of how it's going to look. I've written the quizzes and I think it's all now about the delivery. And like, you know, if, if, the, if it ends up looking the way I've pictured it, I think it's going to be a really helpful resource for students. I hope. I, lo- I love I love it, Joe. I, I love it for a couple of reasons. I love it because, again, the vast majority of the research that we have into into memory suggests that self-quizzing and, and, and inducing retrieval is the most effective way to help kids remember, retain and, and learn more and, and make connections and so on and so forth. And I also love it because... Again, like kids, if they could be asked, could do this themselves, couldn't they? Like they could, they could, they could, they, 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 yeah, yeah. They could go on Quizlet. They could, yeah. um, they could do what you did as a keen university student yeah. doing doing it all. But for two reasons that they won't. One, as I say, because they can't be asked, and two, because they've got to do. They would have to do it for every single subject, mm-hmm. and also they would have to then make the decisions about what the key facts were to to include and what what weren't, and so on and so forth. But you're doing that as as an expert, and also there's some. Something to be said 
said, from kind of removing the technology from this. So let's have it, paper and pen. Let's have a book that you can just take with you anytime, anywhere. You, the phone we know is associated with Twitter, Facebook, all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. So let's let's remove that. Let's get them off the iPads. Let's get them off the computers, and let's get them revising in the old-fashioned but effective way. So I think, yeah, I'm just fuming. I haven't thought of this myself, Joe. <laughs> I'm wondering whether I can get in on the action somehow. Well, so, yeah, it's, what... yeah, it's exciting because it's an idea that works in every subject and that is something that we're so this is now this is a big project this isn't just a maths one it's, it's something we're going to do in other subjects it's going to work uh, a level and it's going to work uh, a key stage two possibly um so that this is like something that that is is hopefully going to end up being something i'm a big thing in my life like a big project where where we end up having these self-quizzing books for um, for kind of every subject initially for GCSE. Um, and I, I don't know, I have a feeling that, that it's something that's going to be, it's definitely something I would tell my own students to go out and buy. You know, I'd yes. say, you know, if you, if you want to, one of the, and, and the thing is they have to understand this is not the only way to prepare for their math GCSE. I mean, that goes without saying, you know, they can't just learn the facts and then do well. And we know that. Um, but I would say to them, look, there are these things, these formulae and facts, there's, there's these, all this stuff that you need to, to know before you can apply it and, um, and go out and buy this book. And you don't, you're not obviously going to complete 10 quizzes exactly the same on the same day. You need to space them out. And um, it's, a, it's a way that students can uh, prepare for their exam alongside other ways of preparing for their exam. Um, but, you know, I'm, I think it's, um, I'm really excited about it. And, you know, it was just one of these things where, you know, I got the email asking if there was if I had any ideas for a book, and I was like, no, I haven't got time to write a book. And then I, I literally went to bed and woke up with this like just the whole idea, like I had the picture of it in my head, um, and I was like, right, that that's what I'm going to do. And you know, um, I've I've now written the higher quizzes. I'm working on the foundation ones, um, but really, it's in the delivery. It's how the book looks that's the the, the big thing because that's that's the it's the format of it that's the kind of exciting bit. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what I think the key to this is, Joe. Have you got a title? Because if there's no, if there's no pun or something involved in this title, this could be a flop. And this is perhaps <laughs> where I could come into play, maybe. So, have you, have you got a title at all? Well, no, no. I've got a few ideas for a title, but I'm not that. I'm, that's not my strength, really. Coming up with titles. I mean, you know, I have the most ridiculous blog title. So, um, no, I don't know. Have you got any ideas? Well, maybe we throw this out to the listening public. I mean, this could be a little competition, couldn't it? Almost <laughs> tweet in with your title, and you get like a slice of Joe's multi-million pounds that she's <laughs> going to make from the make from this deal. So this, yeah, this could be it because the tie is is got to have the pun in there for me, Joe. That's I, 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 if I was you, I would abandon all work on the rest of the quizzes until <laughs> you get this get this pun right. That would be that would be my advice anyway. But Joe, that sounds absolutely absolutely brilliant. And as I say, you're going to be coming back on the show. Well, we've got a few conference takes ways before then oh, yeah. we're going we're gonna to be doing throughout throughout the year uh, there is maths conf and at the um, ma um, atm joint conference and all that kind of stuff yeah and then the end of the year we're going to do a joe morgan reflection on what she's learned but just before we wrap up and i say bye to joe just Again, well, firstly, uh, thank you for giving up your time to, to speak to me today. I, I honestly, I thought we were going to kind of speak for about an hour or so, just go through the gems, but we've we've done well over two hours. And again, I, I could have talked for longer here. It's It's been fascinating. I've loved our little diversions that we've gone on. We've managed to cover st stuff on pedagogy because that's the thing, isn't it? It's, 
it's not just about resources. Mm-hmm. There's almost it's, you'd almost go so far as to say there's no such thing as a good resource. It's, it's how it's used. It's, it's tweaking yeah. it to, and learning from it and so on. And I'm I'm really pleased that we've covered all that ground. So so thank you for that. I've I've certainly enjoyed it and certainly learned a lot as well. But also just like a, just a massive thank you for for doing what you do, Joe. The uh, your blog as a whole, and and I agree with you. I I, re- I really like the um I, I really like your your actual blog posts that, that aren't the gems as well that go deep into things and i'm the same like i get frustrated some of my favorite things i do nobody could care less about and i'm like yeah. are you winding me up it goes back to the colin foster thing like that for me is one of the best episodes ever whereas dylan william people listen to that about 20 times and it's a great episode but give give one of them listens to foster you've, you've got I, to, I so... to him next i promise i've been listening to the podcast a lot lately um because so, i I've, my commute has changed so i'm actually i listened to i listened to helen williams the other day which is really interesting for me because i've got young children to the age she was talking about and i have been i listened to dylan william but i have not yet listened to colin foster so that is now my next one i will listen to you're in for it you're in for a treat joe so i would advise all all people listen to this obviously listen to colin foster but also read joe's read joe's non-maths gems post as well, <laughs> there's, there's so much in there but in terms of the math gems themselves just thank you joe because it's it was one of those things that i've said it was at, a, at the right time for it when there was a lot of uncertainty but also it was there just wasn't anything like that around and tez almost got too big like tez in the early days could almost have done that because again i could feature resources in newsletters and so on and so forth but there's just almost too many resources on Tez. There's too many resources out there just generally. And it's just lovely to have you kind of curating the best and not just picking the same type of resources, offering a wide range. And as I said, they genuinely are one of my favorite parts of, of my week or my month. Whenever I see that you've, um, you've you've got a new gems post out, the first thing I think is brilliant. The second thing I think is please include me on this one. Am I in this one? <laughs> And if I'm not, I get a little bit disappointed. I, but, I did you know, put you I, in the hundredth gems post with your. Uh, I did. I thought that was a nice touch. I yeah. thought that was. I, I did appreciate that. But <laughs> honestly, Joe Morgan, thank you for talking to me to, uh, today, and thank you for all you do for the mass community. It really is appreciated by all. Oh, thank you, Craig. I, I appreciate that feedback. You know that I, the reason I write them is because people say nice things to me. So thank you very much. <laughs>